Hello and welcome back to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card through Cube. I'm Austin and with me as always is Connor. How are you today, Connor? You know, I'm good. It's uh, it's very good to be back. It is good to be back. Yeah, I guess we can start with our our little hiatus. So we're not uh, we're not gone. We're not done podcasting, but we both just got super super swamped with a, a bunch of new stuff at work and career changes and stuff. So we've been a, a little bit off the magic bandwagon, but we're glad to be back talking about more obscure Kamigawa cards for sure. And today we're uh, we're finishing up green, the last of our colored cards in Champions of Kamigawa. So it's kind of a big moment. That's right. After today's episode, we'll review 250 or 251, if you count both brothers Yamazaki, which might be a stretch, um, <laughs> colored cards in Champions, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Sure is. All right. Should we dive in? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, first up in today's episode, we've got um, what I don't think can be called an iconic Champions of Kamigawa card. It's Lure. Woo. One GG for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. All creatures able to block enchanted creature do so. Um, so this is, you know, absolutely a classic card. It's been printed in every core set from Alpha all the way up through 8th edition. It also showed up in uh, Magic 2012 and most recently in Iconic Masters. It's kind of fallen off the radar recently, uh, but it used to be just a core set staple. And it's also in Champions for some reason. Yeah, it's one of the, this is one of its last, I would say, like, quote unquote, real printings, you know, like printings into standard. You know, it showed up in, uh, as you said, 8th edition, showed up at Champions, Tenny, and then M12 was its last real standard printing. So this card is definitely fallen off the map. I think just because three mana for an aura that does this is just, just doesn't match up for the modern rate. Yeah, it is. It is a little uh, tough to fit into a, a more modern deck. As far as where it fits into the cube, you know, it definitely is not an icon of champions. It doesn't have anything to do with the, you know, the lore or the flavor of this set at all, obviously. Uh, but one of our listeners, TapTap, made the really great point that this card and the next card that we're going to talk about are kind of green's only removal options in a way, uh, in the sense that lure would force you know, your opponent to, you could use it to force your opponent to block a certain creature and, you know, remove creatures in that way. It's not the most elegant or cost-effective solution, but it is a kind of removal option. Um, and Lure also, you know, creates the possibility of making all your other creatures basically unblockable. So it's something to think about. I don't know if, you know, it doesn't really make me like this card. I like it more for the second scenario. I think the problem with using this as removal is that, you know, that you have to invest two cards as the baseline, right? Because you got Lure yeah. plus the creature that's probably going to die. You know, if it's a big enough creature, like a Moskami or something, you'll probably kill two things and basically get a one-for-one one trade out of it. But, like, I, I don't know. I feel like a Moskami has better things to do, like, you know, just killing your opponent. Like, I... Yeah. I still want to include this because I, I so I like it more for the game ending effect, right? Of you can throw this on a creature late game, swing in for final damage. You know, it almost acts like a sleep effect or something. You know, like it, it's almost it's almost like it's tapping down your opponent's blockers. Yeah. Uh, and I think with that in mind, it's okay. Like I have it as a one X man. I don't think it's an amazing effect, but I think it's a fine thing to have, you know, one of floating around the format. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the removal thing is, you know, it's it's not just a a two for one. It's also, you know, the creature that you put this on has to, in order for there to be removal, that creature has to like have enough power to remove something. And a lot of creatures just don't. They don't. And a lot of, and this block also has literally no death touch or basilisk kind of effects, you know? So the classic, the original right. lure from Alpha, right? The uh, the original combo with lure was to put lure on your, what was it called? Thicket basilisk, I think was the one in Alpha, you know, and use its pseudo death touch ability to wipe your opponent's board. Um, but there's, I don't, from my searching, I don't think there's anything in Kamigawa block that can take advantage of that synergy, which is well, kind of sad hold on. in this. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Cruel Deceiver, <laughs> situational death touch. <laughs> no, and you got you no. got two power on that bad boy. <laughs> How much mana would we be talking about there? That would, would be two for the Deceiver plus three yeah. for Lurs five yep. plus three. So we're talking about eight mana, but you could kill two creatures. Yes, and well, that's all assuming that the Deceiver's ability actually works, right? Um, hmm. Okay, I don't think that's actually worth yeah, thinking it's, about. That's not making it, about it. Okay. That's not making it any better in my mind, but that there is the option. I do have a real soft spot for this effect. Like uh when I was first learning to play magic, the first kind of quote unquote game ending combo I experienced, it's not really a combo, but was like Taunting Elf, which is a mm. green zero one from Onslaught that just has this effect and nothing else. Uh and I remember the guy who taught us magic, uh Nick using that against us and being like, what do I do? I can't block. I'm just dead. You know, cause you know, we didn't have any removal. We didn't understand. None of us understood really how to play the game. So all games yeah. ended in gigantic board stalls, which now that I, now that I'm talking about, it, it sounds a little bit like Kamigawa limited. So maybe Lur has something going for it. Maybe. Um, so I, I see you put, you put this at a one X meh and I, I had it at two X meh, but I think, I think I'm inclined to just have one. Yeah, it feels, uh, I could see too, it feels more like a 1x effect to me. I just don't, I mean, I definitely don't think there's decks that want two lures. No. So I think one of them's probably fine. All right, let's go with that. I was sort of chuffed to, before we move on, I was sort of chuffed to see that they still print lure effects. Not a lot of them, but I kind of worried with this thing dying that lure itself was going away. But, you know, in the last couple of years, they printed one in Zendikar Rising, Taunting Arbor Mage, strangely two in uh, Theros Beyond Death, Tree Shaker, Chimera, and Nessian Boar. So they're still hmm. printing a smattering of uh, of lure effects, which made me happy. Okay. Okay, uh, let's talk about the other card you alleged was removal. Um, Masu <laughs> Tribe Decoy. Two and a G for a 1-3 Snake Warrior. 2G, target creature blocks Matsu Tribe Decoy this turn, if able. And whenever Matsu Tribe Decoy deals damage, combat damage to a creature, tap that creature, and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So we got a three mana, one three, with the uh, pretty disappointing Orochi signature poison ability, and uh, it can also force things to block it. I, I think this thing's pretty terrible. So it's a three mana, one three, which does poorly against a lot of things in the block, and in particular does poorly against the, like, literally 20 creatures that are three drops with Bushido. Uh, I think it's this Venom effect I think very little of. And I don't know, being forced to block things. Like, I, I, I want to let you talk. But like, I real quick, I puzzled out the scenarios. And from what I can tell, basically, the Masu Tribe Decoy can snipe 1-1s. One but he still might die to another blocker. And also, it's a 1-1, one one, so who cares? He can sort of annoy other two power creatures. He can't kill them, but he can like slow them down a little bit. But mm -hmm. that's also kind of a who cares. 
or he can block two power creatures and also slightly annoy your opponent. Like just nothing about him is good from what I can tell. Yeah, I just I don't I don't like this at all. Like theoretically this is removal of I guess your your opponent's four mana one one Aki. Uh best case scenario. Okay. Okay. But that's like that's that's the best case scenario. Like to me, this this is just a, a three mana one three, bad enough. And then it has yeah. this lure-esque activated ability that is tied only to this creature that costs just as much as an actual lure uh, on you know on a body that can only deal one damage. Like I, I I don't like this at all. And and I completely agree that this this sort of Orochi snake poison effect of you know basically freezing a creature like completely unexciting i don't think it really adds anything here it feels so utter like unimpactful that it could have been just sort of trinket text you know like they could have just priced the cards as though they didn't have that text and just kept it on there for flavor if that's what they wanted like i honestly don't understand why it's even there yeah and and you really are kind of paying a premium for it on all the snakes that have it basically yeah I also find the art here sort of incredibly dorky. Oh, oh, it's great in a terrible yeah. way. Uh, you want to talk about it? Um, sure. So, <laughs> uh, so this is you know an Orochi, a snake warrior. So all of them have two legs, four arms, snake heads to to varying degrees of snakiness. But this guy in particular, there's so many things about this art that just feel wrong. The subject of the art, the decoy, is supposed to be like up in a tree, it looks like. Like he's standing up in a tree, kind of firing a bow off to the right. But he's not really in the tree. Like he's just sort of posed in front of it. Like the tree doesn't come under him to give him any support. He's not like standing in a way that suggests that he would actually be in the tree. There's just like a tree behind him. Yeah. Which makes you think like, is this tree like, does it, is its trunk like a foot tall? Like it's just kind of confusing. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Uh, But even stranger than that, he appears to have human hands and human hair and human hair. Well, they all have human hair, but this guy in particular, like he's got all of his skin up to the hands is like, white like ivory white because he's a snake and then you get to the hands and they're literally like human hands with flesh tones it's it's hard like yeah with flesh tones and it's hard to tell with the picture being so small but it looks like they're they also have like four fingers and a thumb where Hmm. all of the other snake people snake folk have uh three-fingered hands Okay, let me let me do a forensic. So he has like actual here. human hands just grafted onto these forearms. Huh. And then I've got I got one more one more observation here about the weirdness of this art. So he's he's firing a bow off to the right with two of his arms, but remember uh, he has four. So the other two arms are reaching behind his back and pulling out a katana, like drawing the weapon mm-hmm. over his back. As he's firing the bow, like, what is the plan here with both of these weapons? He's like, ready for all. See, that part's cool. You know, he's if, if he's got four arms and he's using all four of them to the max. I mean, don't you think that's sort of, uh, you know, like if you had four arms, why not? Why not be well, ready with the katana? Well, I, I feel like if I'm going to, you know, if I've got the katana right there while I'm trying to fire a bow. Um, it's going to get in the way. It's going to get in the way. You know, I might yeah, even cut gonna the bow. That's going to throw off your balance, too. 
Yeah. It, especially if I, if I'm barely clinging to a tree like this. That's a good point. I, I watched a lot of biathlon during the winter Olympics. And one thing I re- I learned is you got to hold really still when you're shooting stuff. There you go. Important takeaway. One little bit of trivia I found researching this card that I thought was fun is uh, in a set on the Wizards Mothership from, or a car- article on the Wizards Mothership from about 10 years ago, uh, they talk about where these tribe names come from. So all of the Arachi are in different tribe. We got like Matsu tribe decoy here. Later on, we'll get um, kind of shamany ones. We'll get all kinds of different names. And apparently they're all named after Japanese names for different kinds of trees. So I'll just quote from the article here. If you're familiar with the Kamigawa Glossary, you know that the different tribes of Arachi are named after tree types. But did you know that each tribe is so named because it represents a quality of its namesake? For example, the Matsu, pine tribe, are archers. Pines have needles, get it? A bit more on the subtle side, we have Kashi, oak, known for its strength, and Sakura, cherry, often used as a ceremonial tree, thus the connection to the tribe of shamans, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, it seems like a lot to ask players to pick up on that. Like I've been looking at Sakura tribe elders for like 18 years and I never really uh, picked up on why. I just kind of was like, Sakura, sure. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I knew Sakura meant cherry, but I cherry yeah. tree, but I never really thought about it. I was just like, yeah, Sakura tribe elder, sure. Yeah, I, I guess. I, why do you think that is? Do you think it just sort of like formed in our minds at an age where we didn't know what Sakura meant and we just never thought about it again? I think so. Yeah, I think it predated me knowing what the the actual Japanese word was. Yeah. Well, we must have been either watching Card Captor Sakura or oh my goodness, having wow. recently watched Ooh. it. At wow. this time, so there's a deep cut for you. Should we do a season on Card Captor Sakura? Re- rewatch it and rate the episodes. Now that sounds good. Definitely on topic. Yeah, I think I think our listeners would be extremely interested in that. I think the other thing we have yet to do is rate this. So I have this as a one X med. But to be honest, that feels like kind of a cowardly vote on my part. I just want to cut this. I don't see what it's going to do. Okay, insta cut. All right. Next up, we've got a big one. It's Moskami. 5G for a 5-5 spirit with trample. That's it. I think Moskami is probably in our like the top three cards that you and I have referred to constantly when reviewing other cards on the show. Uh, maybe along with Kitsune Blademaster and probably like Glacial Ray. Like we talk about Moskami all the time as like the, yeah, he's a the large creature that you know you're gonna be trying to get out, or like the expensive creature, the sort of bomb that's going to finish the game for you. Yeah. Um, and he really is like six mana, five, five with trample is a, like pretty close to a spirit dragon, just huge value. Yeah. I, uh, spirit dragon is right. Uh, rich Hogan. I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, called this card, the land dragon in a contemporaneous limited review, which I thought was sort of wonderful. <laughs> I, I think it's funny to compare him to famous meme card, colossal Dreadmaw, And of course, colossal Dreadmaw, six mana, six, six trampler, this guy, five, five. So he's obviously a little weaker, but the fact he's even in the conversation with, you know, a pretty solid kind of staple limited card from today, I think speaks well for the Moscow Kami. Like he just hits hard. And he doesn't ask a lot of you to do it. And, you know, the soul shift value here is totally real and plausible. And once you get, yeah. like, you land a Moskami twice on the board, like, you're really doing some damage at that point. It's pretty hard to keep up with that, just that sheer stat line in this format. Yeah. And, well, he's he's actually also in a color that has soul shift, you know? So it's it's reasonable. And that has soul shift this big. So it's 
like reasonable to expect that you'd be able to actually get it back on that. Right. Yeah, there's a couple Soul Shift 7s, Soul Shift 8s. We've, of course, got Iname Life Aspect too. So yeah, it's pretty plausible that Moskami might make it back to your hand at some point. Yeah. There was a uh, an exchange between a couple of commenters on Gatherer for this card that I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely and I wanted to share it here. Uh, so back in, I, I think... I think the first post was in 2010, maybe. Uh, and someone said, he's big, has trample, and he's a common. I like him a lot, and I can't find anything wrong with him. Pretty much agree with that. Here, here, Evid. Uh, four years later, the Wrath of Shane replies to Evid, saying, <laughs> it's a limited filler. Card is a pile of trash bags and constructed when compared <laughs> to things like Bane Slayer Angel. <laughs> 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 it's, like, it's like that. That does not seem like... Uh, the most fair comparison you could make, uh, but just just the juxtaposition there, like how how this guy immediately jumped to Bane Slayer Angel from Moscow. <laughs> I love. Uh, I really miss Gatherer comments, and I love that this guy comes back four years later to <laughs> no. talk on this guy. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, just oh. uh, actually, he said he said Bank Slayer Angel, not Bane Slayer Angel, which I, I also loved. I yeah. really like that. I was like Bank Slayer Angel. What is that? That's pretty good. Yeah, well, you know, so expensive because it was such a format to find a card. But yeah, I like the there idea of like Moskami can't measure up to what was at the time the best creature printed basically in the history of magic. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty high bar. Yeah. Um, I really like the art here. It's uh it's fairly photorealistic. I could see criticizing it for being almost like too still or too kind of like it doesn't really quite look like a creature it more it's very foresty and you really have to look at it to go like oh wow jaws and claws and stuff here so it looks almost like a tree i don't know i really like the kind of the way in which this looks very much of the forest very mossy very textured hmm. 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 not convinced i'm not i'm not a huge fan of it to me it just kind of looks it's it is like really photorealistic except for these very subtle claws and teeth and to me it just kind of looks like a photo of tree roots Mm, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it just there's there's like nothing about it to really latch onto. It does kind of lack a strong focal point, but for me, I like the kind of brooding brooding menace of it. Uh, I also like the flavor text here, which I think does a, a good job orienting you to the basic rules of Kamigawa in a way that I think more cards needed to do, honestly. So it says, Kami mes- manifest in the form of whatever they embody in the physical plane. Some tower in the shape of moss or bark, while others take forms beyond mortal imagining. That that flavor text could appear on basically any Kami in the block, but I think it's helpful for the kind of casual uh, player who's like, why did these cards look so weird? Yeah. Uh, and Moss Kami at least explains why. Although I think in a way, Moss Kami is one of the less weird looking Kami. Yeah, I mean, it, it says Moss Kami and uh, there's a lot of moss. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. need explanation in the way that, like, uh, I don't know, like Lantern Kami or something, or right. you know, Kami many, many road. other abs. Yeah. So where do we uh, where do we land on this rating wise? It's a definite auto include for me. I, oh, I think easy the, auto include. Yeah. The trickier part is maybe how many copies we want. I said two. Two feels right to me. I I think I wavered between two and three. You know, it's super common in the, it's a common, right? And so like in like retail limited, this card shows up all the time uh, and they're fairly easy to get a hold of. And so I think like that's where I lent a little bit or I was flirting with three because I feel like this shouldn't be something you have to like treasure or prioritize. It should be like, if you're in green, you can get a Moskami and you, you almost always will get a Moskami. Okay, I, I kind of like that. Like, 
usually we haven't we haven't adhered too closely to trying to like recreate a limited format here, but I kind of like the idea of bringing that in a little and having having Moskami be someone you can count on. Okay, yeah. Do we want to start at auto include three X then? Let's do it. Boom. Okay, let's go to our final myogen, the myogen of life's web. Six, G, 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 that's nine mana. For an 8-8 legendary creature spirit, myogen of life's web enters the battlefield with the divinity counter on it if you played it from your hand. It's indestructible as long as it has a divinity counter on it, and you can remove that divinity counter to put any number of creature cards from your hand into play. Uh, so this card is is awkward. Uh, I think it's uh, most of the Myogen are awkward, honestly, but I think this one is maybe the most awkward of all of them. Uh, simply because if you've gotten a nine mana in green, I think you just don't need to cheat on mana at that point, right? You've already proven that you have all the mana you need. You probably cast most of your things. You might have one or two things left to cast. I mean, it's not that you're getting no value out of this, but I think the value you get is pretty marginal. Um, at that point, you're looking at a nine mana eight eight, which isn't a total joke. Like that's a huge body in this format, which is nice because most of the other Myogen have come with these weird, anemic, terrible stat lines. So I don't want to totally discount that, but I feel like the effect here is kind of, it just, it feels off to me. I was mostly rating this honestly as just a nine mana indestructible eight, eight, which, which is, you know, way, way better than any of the other Myogen, uh, both in terms of just the absolute stat line and like the rate of mana. You know, the blue Myogen is, 10 mm-hmm. mana for a 3-3. Three, three. Black, you're paying 8 mana for a 5-2. So like just getting getting an 8-8 eight, eight for 9 mana here that's indestructible to boot is something by itself, I think. But yeah. I, I completely agree that the effect here is really, probably most of the time it's not going to matter. Like it's, it's hard to see why you would need this if you're at the point that you can play a 9 mana 8-8. Eight, eight. Like A, what do you have left in your hand at that point? And B, even if you have something left in your hand, like you have the mana to play it. Yeah. I was I was trying to like find other cards in the block that could kind of set something up where you've played Myogen of Life's Web and then you like refill your hand with a bunch of creatures that you're cheating out if you're uh-huh. somehow not already winning with an 8-8 indestructible. There's one uh, sorcery called Enshrined Memories. It's XG. It lets you look at the top X cards of your library and grab any creatures from there into your hand. There's a Name, maybe, which, you know, puts a bunch of spirits, a Name life aspect puts a bunch of spirits back into your hand okay. if they're in your graveyard. And that's pretty okay. much it. Like, those two cards are kind of the only things that could, like, set up a big combo with this. So I, I feel like the effect is just sort of a non-factor, and we're talking about a 9-mana 8-8 indestructible here. I'm somewhat persuaded by your nine mana eight eight indestructible at least being worth the trial. Like ramp is a surprisingly big part of green's color identity in this set. You know, we've got Kodama's Reach and Sakura Tribe Elder most notably is like you know all time all star ramp cards that are going to appear in good quantity. So it's not it's not as unreasonable that you'll cast this thing as it was for the other Myogen. I think you right. got a decent chance of hitting nine mana. Yeah, I and mean, if you're going for the like, you know, Budoka. Udoka Gardner strat of getting to uh-huh. Ted Lands, then <laughs> you know you're already you're already on the way. It's, this is a pretty good thing to slap a lure onto. Sure is. That's going to clear uh, out some creatures. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna shut your opponent down pretty quick. Yeah, 
little trivia bits. I, I When I was thinking about other scenarios for this card, like outside of Cube, I did start thinking it would be very funny to say put all six Eldrazi Titans into play with this. <laughs> um, that just amused me. And I, then Exodia Obliterate ran through my head and that, that tickled me further. So yeah, this card tickles my kind of kitchen table magic side. Yeah, it's like it it seems like a very fun effect. It's just a, an awkward one to get much value out of here. You know, all the Myogen, to me, it's awkward that they don't let you cheat them into play. And it's especially awkward yeah. with this one of like, oh, this is the one where it would be most cool to cheat it into play. And you can't. Yep. I'm also not a huge fan of the art here. To me, all the other Myogen have this kind of sense of raw power in the art. And this one, eh, it just kind of, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just kind of boring and flat to me. It's like a woman standing in front of some trees, basically. Yeah, kind of another Kev Walker dud. Ouch, I don't like that because I love Kev Walker. What's going on? I know. I mean, he's got some... I feel like a lot of the other Myogen had pretty good art, don't you? Yeah, but he didn't do all of them, did he? Yeah, Kev Walker did all five Myogen. Whoa. Yeah, and a lot of them are just realize this. Yeah, the other ones are quite a lot better. Knight's Reach, Infinite Rage. Knight's Reach is great. Seeing Winds. I think Seeing Winds is my favorite. It's so kind of messy and abstract and spooky. This one, not so much. Yeah. It's just, it's like, okay. It's pretty forgettable. Uh, so where do you land on this? I had it as an Instacut, but you're, you're, I think you're making a stronger case for me. I'm willing, I'm thinking I need to change that. Yeah. I mean, I have it at playable, but maybe, maybe that's a little too generous for any nine mana card. Maybe we need to meet in the middle at meh. Yeah, I, I, you know, I actually kind of like your playable here. I don't think it's an exceptional okay. thing, but I feel like green needs some ramp targets. I kind of like having one that sits right at the top of the mana curve. And I think, you know, an 8-8 indestructible that may have some upside is, I think that's working for me. Yeah, it's pretty tanky. Yeah, I, I think let's put her in as a tanky playable 1x. Love it. One last uh, gatherer pull. And then I, I think I'm done with gatherer comments for a little while. At oh, least. That's too bad. I love the gatherer um, cuts. Yeah, me too. I, I don't want to. I don't want to have them for every card, but this one I couldn't resist. Someone on gatherer, I can't remember when this was, probably 2009 or 2010, uh, said very proudly that this may be the best card that they own. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my exact reaction. Just oh, I kind of love it though. The enthusiasm, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's nine mana for an 8-8. Eight, eight. It just reeks of power. Yeah, and it's got this incredibly powerful ability. Any number of creatures. Yeah. That's crazy. That's nuts. This sees a surprising amount of EDH play, so she commands uh, only 28 decks, which is <laughs> not surprising. Um, but she appears in 2900, which isn't too shabby for a nine drop. I think she kind of makes more sense yeah. in EDH, you know? Like, you're, you've got a, a crazier mana base, and you're probably a lot more likely to have a situation where you've got enough creatures to make this worthwhile. A lot of card draw and ways to refill your hand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our next card is nature's will Two GG for an enchantment. It says whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, tap all lands that player controls and untap all lands you control. Uh, I, I, I'm really not sure whether this has, any impact in our cube. Yeah. Um, it does appear in like a pretty good number of EDH decks, about 4,300. Um, and I could see it having some potential in that format. For us, it just felt like four mana is a whole lot to pay for something that has no real immediate impact and also requires some follow-up from you. Like you need to deal damage and then also have something to spend that mana on from untapping. Yeah. 
and the you know the the whole thing about tapping down your opponent's lands it seems like it'd be really great uh, but i feel like a lot of the time in kamigawa limited like that just doesn't really matter it doesn't keep them tapped on your opponent's turn it just sort of taps them down on yours yeah i read this as essentially like a weird mana doubler for you honestly because i think i'm with you the yeah. tapping your opponent's lands like it would be most useful for counter against counter spells right like you tap down their lands and then you're safe to play things out in main phase two but i don't think that really matters because counter spells are just pretty bad in this block and it doesn't really do much to say protect you against removal or combat tricks because your opponent is going to play those before combat damage is dealt. I think this is mostly about doubling your mana. And with that in mind, I think it's maybe a meh. Like the Soul Shift deck does tend to get a lot of creatures lodged in its hand. And this could be kind of a way for that deck to just keep throwing bodies at your opponent and then keep refilling and refueling. I, I don't know. Like that might be too cute, but I could see yeah. the Soul Shift deck utilizing this. Yeah, maybe. I feel like even in the Soul Shift deck, you know, especially if you're in green, then you, I don't know, it's it's a little bit like the Myogen. It, it's sort of yeah, imagining a scenario where you have like just so many creatures in your hand and not enough mana to play all of them. And I just don't know how often that's going to happen because this doesn't, you know, really give you more mana than what your land could generate, right? Lets you use them again. Uh, well, that's true. So you can't get it all in one phase to cast like an eight drop. That's a good point. Right. You could cast a four drop main phase one if you had four lands and then another four drop main phase two. Yeah. Which, I mean, which would be amazing if you had that. Yeah. But I just, I'm not sure how often that's really going to come up. Yeah. Uh, so where, where are you on this? I have it at a meh one X. I'm, I've got it as an insta cut with like tentative willingness to come up to a mail one X just to see if it ever does work. Cause like if, if you can get value out of this, I think it could be great, but I question how often that would really happen. And then also keeping in mind that you're spending four mana just to make that a possibility, right? Like playing, playing two four mana creatures on the same turn when you don't, when you wouldn't otherwise have enough mana to do that sounds awesome, but you've already spent four mana setting up nature's will to make that possible. Yeah. Maybe we should just cut it. You know, this gets into another of those scenarios of like, we want the cube to not end up as 1500 cards and that's going to be easier to do. <laughs> if We make some cuts now. <laughs> right. Um, right. Make some hard decisions. Yeah. I, okay. I'm fine. And this one's not this. that hard. Yeah. It's not that hard uh, in part because this art is so ugly it's funny, Ugh, yeah. after 18 years of playing Magic and honestly looking at Kamigawa cards more often in those 18 years than I think many players do, I don't think I've ever run across this card. I was like, I saw it on the spreadsheet and I was like, that's an ugly card I've never heard of. Oh, that's kind of cute. Uh, and I've somehow never seen it before. Yeah. The uh, the flavor text on this actually <laughs> bugs me quite a bit too. It says, without the Kami to speak to nature on our behalf, we must beg help from nature directly. Uh, Seshiro, the anointed. What bothers me about that is like that... That suggests that nature and the kami are two yes. separate things. Yes. And sort of the, the story that we've been given all this time is like the kami are the embodiment of nature. It's super frustrating. Right? Yes. So like is yes. nature this like this third autonomous being? Like what where does nature fit in here that like the, the snakes are able to like go make a treaty with it? that the kami are not part of. I had that same frustration and I also kind of felt frust- like the art, uh, 
Sashiro is a snake, and I suppose it's possible the vines in this art are helping these snake people, but it's it's really hard to tell. Like they're they're being yeah. sort of entangled, and maybe they're being launched towards the enemy, and that's their desire, or they're being suffocated by the vines. Like it's not unambiguous to me that these that nature is right. helping these snake people out. The the one on the left kind of looks like he's like screaming and being strangled by nature. Yeah, so. totally. This is also another example of your um, the thing you've already pointed out, which is every single appearance of the Arachi, they look like completely different. Yep. Yep. These have a real kind of Ninja Turtles. Vibe. Oh, it's super Ninja Turtles, especially the one on the bottom right. I mean, he's like he mm-hmm. is a Ninja Turtle yep. if they were snakes. He really is. Ninja Snake. Yeah. Which strangely, I don't think this block contains any Ninja Snakes. What a missed opportunity. It really is. No ninjas in green. As you were saying, this is a surprise EDH role player. Although I realized once I dug in a little more that while this appears in 4,400 decks, almost half of those, uh, 2,000 exactly, are in Najila the Blade Blossom, who's a five color commander who can spend Wuburg to give you another combat step. And so you get an infinite combo uh-huh. with Nature's Will, which seems very cool. Okay. But uh, that's like half of all of its appearances, basically. Yeah, that's pretty fun. It's it's a pretty expensive card too. I know it's weirdly expensive. It's like what is it? It's like twenty eight dollars in yeah. seventy dollars in foil. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. Yeah, I guess it must. Uh, this feels like one they're going to slip into a mystery booster or the list or something at some point. Like that wizards has to be eyeing that price tag and going, we can sneak this in somewhere and mm-hmm. sell some packs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Should we? Uh, where do we fall on this? Just insta cut. Oh yeah, let's just insta cut it. Unmourned. All right. Let's get it out. Not to spoil anything, but let's go to another card that may not be mourned. Uh, Orb Weaver Kumo. 4GG for a 3-4. Yes. Spirit. It's got reach. And whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, it gains forest walk until end of turn. So six mana, 3-4 reacher with conditional forest walk. Um, this is, believe it or not, the biggest, baddest reach creature in the whole block. There is no creature with reach that's bigger than this. Uh, and I hate it. Uh, and I want to cut this card. It's like so disappointing. It's, it's disappointing and it's disgusting. It's so gross. The art is just so gross. It's like the Kumo. I don't know if that actually means spider. I guess I should check that. I'll go work on that. Keep going. All right. Yeah. You fact check me. As usual, but like all of the Kumo spirits in Kamigawa are sort of spider-like, but they're gross. They're almost grosser than just a regular old spider because they're basically like a big sphere with a nasty orifice in the middle of it and a whole bunch of legs and other protrusions (laughs) coming out in like a ring. It just looks so, and this, this one is like really, uh, really giving you an unpleasant angle on everything. It's just yeah. so nasty. Yeah, I don't really do spiders very well. Uh and yeah. this one is like just just why is it so egregiously gross? Yeah, this is some nightmare fuel for you. Why did we need this orifice? And just 6 mana 3/4 with reach is crap. 3/4 isn't enough to matter against well, particularly the dragons, but a lot of the crucial flyers that you really care about. Yeah. And also we we both are on record as kind of hating landwalk as just like being an unfun mechanic. Yeah, and this just, this doesn't even have permanent land walk. It's, <laughs> right. It's only triggered by spirit craft. I just, I, I look at this card and I feel like green can do so much better than this. Yeah, we just saw Moskami. Yeah. Exactly. We just saw Moskami. We're about to see another great green card. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, we don't need this. Easy insta cut. 
Cut it. Just for anyone who's wondering, Kumo is indeed the Japanese word for spider. And also, Wiktionary tells me it is the old high German word for delicately. So, something you can wow. use. That, that really is uh, some top tier trivia. This is why people tune in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, I, I promised a good creature, and we've got one. It's Order of the Sacred Bell. 3G for a 4-3 human monk. That's it. It's a 4-mana 4-3. Like, that is a hard rate to beat in Kamigawa. And he's only one designated mana. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about this. Just solidly playable. Yeah, and it is a hard rate to beat, as you're saying. Uh, I did a quick check, and this is literally this and Kodama of the South Tree are literally the biggest 4-drops in the block who don't have a drawback. So while... To modernize a four mana four three vanilla looks like wow that's terrible. This guy really gets in and mixes it up. Um, he wins a fight against about sixty three percent of creatures in the block, which is great. And then he trades with another twenty one percent. So basically, this guy tussles effectively and trades one for one, or just destroys eighty four percent of all the creatures in the whole block, which is pretty strong for just a vanilla four mana single designated creature. That is pretty good. And, you know, for that, I can accept the human monk type line here. What, what is your objection to the human monk again? <laughs> Remember, there were all these, these cards like last episode where I was saying, why is this a human monk? Oh, right. You wanted them all to be snakes. Yeah, well, you know, there's just there's no other than just sort of the, the flavor of there being monks in Jukai Forest. Like there's no synergy or through line to all of the monks in this set. You know, they just they're just sort of creatures that show up. It's funny that wizards hadn't invented like human tribal yet, because there's a lot of humans in this set. And it's you know, I feel like today they might have come up with you know, they had all the spirits tied together tribally, but the mortals are all kind of fighting on their own, which I think creates a lot of play problems, right? It's like in green you got the snakes. Right. But there's only like 12 snakes or whatever, or 20 snakes, or whatever the number is in the whole block. So the snake tribal can't really get anywhere. And you have the same problem in every single color with these tribal effects that can't really get there on the mortal side. I feel like today they would have maybe had some kind of mortal keyword, almost like ally in Zendikar or something. Something that ties all the mortals together yeah. mechanically. Yeah, that would have made uh, all the human monks a little more interesting. Yeah, I think the only thing I can say against Order of the Sacred Bell is that Green's four drop slot is pretty stacked. We've got Kadama of the South Tree, as I already mentioned. We've got Burgrafter, Sosuke coming up a little later this episode. Later in the block, Kami of the Tended Garden. There were some really good green four drops. Uh, that doesn't mean he won't make it. I just think it's worth noting he's got some stiff competition. Yeah. How many should make it, you think? Uh, I had it as a playable 2x. Uh, the number's a bit of a stab in the dark. I can't imagine cutting this. I actually, you know, I almost feel like this is an auto-include for me, weirdly, just because I think the fact that a 4-mana four 4-3, four, like if you go back to limited articles at the time, they all have this in like the top three green comments. Like this was considered a really solid card. But I almost feel like just, it, it's almost iconic to me for being so mechanically bland and yet essential. Yeah. A little bit like Moskami. Yeah, very like Moskami, yeah. Uh, let me give you one more thing that might help bump it up to uh, auto-include, which is that I found right. a 2005 draft guide that called this guy Taco Bell as some kind of affectionate nickname, and I thought that was pretty great. Oh, I, lo I love that. <laughs> We're going to have to call it that yeah, from now on. Be, yeah, revive that <laughs> 05 slang. Get it back into circulation. Oh, man. So is auto-include, is that nuts? Do you want to stick to playable? Um, I mean, it is. it is pretty hard to see 
a situation where we would actually cut this card completely. So auto include does kind of seem right. Okay, what about quantity? Okay, I put <laughs> that two. was a pain series of noises. <laughs> it's it's hard for me. It's it's hard enough to to rate these cards. It's even harder to figure out what the right number is, especially since I feel like we're going to end up with about ten thousand cards in the queue by the time we get to the end of the block. What about I had them at a two, but what about just a one? Because I feel like we could have them as a one, and if we need another four drop, we put in another one. Like I, all I want yeah. is to ensure there's at least one of these, and if it turns out we need two, great. The more the merrier. Okay, I think that's good. And I think with all the green four drops, we can, you know, maybe have that attitude of, like, there are plenty of good green cards at four. And if we need to dial it up a little, we know where to go. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and I'll also note that the if you're wondering what the Sacred Bell is, it appears later, it's uh, Junkyo, uh, which is an artifact coming up uh, next episode. Nice. Yeah. All right, let's go to, uh, I think this is our final flip card of the set, right? Yeah, you're right. Okay. Next up, we've got Arachi Egg Watcher, two and a G for a 1-1 one, one, uh, Snake Shaman. And you could pay 2G and tap it to create a 1-1 one, one green snake. And then if you control 10 or more creatures, flip it. And it flips into Shidako Brood Mistress, a 3-3 three, three Snake Shaman. And you could pay G and sack creature to give target creature plus 3 plus 3 until end of turn. Whew, so that's a mouthful, like all these flip cards. So three mana, one, one that you can pay three and tap it to make a one, one. If you have 10 or more, it flips into a three, three that can sack creatures to giant growth. Okay, so for me, this just this just doesn't pass the smell test. Like we're paying six mana to get our second one, one out of this thing. Like that is just a terrible, terrible body. And I feel like, I, I almost feel like I have to ignore the whole rest of the card just because that is such an unacceptable rate. Okay, I mean, it is... It is a pretty terrible rate, but if you think about it in comparison to Haunted of Life's Web, which is five mana for no stats that gets you a 1-1 one, one next turn, yeah, it looks a little more tolerable, right? It's funny because I was thinking of the Haunted of Life's Web, and I like that a little more because it doesn't ask anything of me after I resolve it. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that, and I like the Haunted too, but... You know, like in, I don't know. In this set, spending six mana to get two one ones is not as atrocious as it looks on paper. Okay, I let me let me back this up and explain my reasoning a little bit here. I have this rated as a build around. In calling it that, I'm bending our impab system a little bit. I don't think that we build the cube around this card or think about necessarily like whether to include another card based on whether it works with this. But I can kind of imagine a certain kind of deck that wants this card. And I imagine that deck having maybe the green Zubera, mm -hmm. the green Honden, uh -huh. cards that give cheap little spirits or cheap little creatures and get you up to 10 creatures to flip into Shidako here and be giant growthing all the time. Hmm. I don't know if that's good, but I like that idea. I like that idea too. It sounds fun and like not totally unrealistic to get up to 10 creatures. Yeah, I wonder how many... Let me go look how many just token makers there are in the whole set. There's 22 cards that make some kind of token in the set. Um, some of which we've talked about and already cut, like Maronar or cards like Budoka Gardener where I wouldn't really count them. There are a couple others, like Sosuke's Summons and Betrayers. I could see getting there. So there may be a little bit of a token theme here. 
I, I, I'm okay with your build around rating. Yeah, and you know, maybe it doesn't work at all or you never end up getting to the point where you can actually flip this because it is a 1-1. But I don't know. I just I kind of like the idea of having this as a weird a weird option where if you manage to flip it, it could do some crazy stuff for you. Yeah, okay. I'm fine with your build around rating here. Okay. I also think the art here is a little stronger than many of the flip cards. It's manages to pack quite a lot of detail in without being busy, which is a nice trick. And I also like that we see kind of the whole journey of the snake civilization from really freaky, really, really freaky snake baby to young mother. <laughs> They're kind of cute. I don't know about that. To young mother, to like hilariously booba um, broodmistress. Uh, I, I think that's kind of fun that we're seeing their whole journey here. Yeah. I like this art, but it's also sort of like funny to me, not just because of the snake babies, but just th- there's something about the composition of this where kind of like that red ogre flip card, the unflipped version of this is sort of like that subject is sort of shoved off to the side of the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the flip version here. It looks like she's like ripping a hole in the wall <laughs> and like like barging into the room upside down because it's a flip card. She's Kool-Aid man. <laughs> yeah, she's just, <laughs> yeah, she's just busting down this wall, but upside down. And the this egg watcher is just kind of shoved off into the corner with all the babies. Yeah, the ratio is kind of funny between the, the two halves of the composition. And it, it almost does look like they're in the same thing. And like Shidako is just popping in upside down uh, to check yeah, on yeah. how the babies are doing. <laughs> she's just hanging out. All right, build around 1x? Yeah. Next up, we've got Orochi Leafcaller. G for a 1-1 Snake Shaman that has G, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So this card does make it, you know, a lot easier to splash into another color um, just by itself, which green is already better at doing than every other color, obviously. But this is also part of an infinite mana combo within the block. What? Yes. Involving... This card, Sachi, daughter of Seshiro, who we'll talk about in this episode, and a blue card from Betrayers called Freed from the Real that allows you to freely untap or tap a creature by paying one blue mana. Okay, walk us through it. How does the combo work? Okay, so Sachi uh, gives shamans you control the ability to tap for two green mana. Orochi okay. Leafcaller allows you to spend one green mana to add one mana of any color, basically, you know, turn a green mana into anything else. Freed from the real allows you to untap the creature that it's enchanting for one blue mana. So you Uh put freed from the real on Sachi. Sachi can tap for two green mana because she's also a shaman. You tap for two green mana. You use the leaf caller to turn one of those green mana into a blue mana, spend that to untap Sachi, and then do it all over again. Boom, there you go. Oh, that's cool. I don't know what you spend all that mana on, but... (laughs) That is an infinite mana combo within this block. So oh, man, yeah. There's not a lot of outlets about. for it, but that's that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got on this card. Okay, yeah, he's kind of a he's an interesting enabler. Um I, I was trying to do some digging. I'm not super confident in my scryfall search here, but I believe this is actually the cheapest like mana filtering card in the game. Um, not just in terms of how much it costs to cast, but in terms oh. of the exchange rate. There are only there is only one other card in the game that trades one mana for a mana of another co- of any color that's blood celebrant uh in black weirdly who will pay black and one life to do this um but of course the one life there is pretty real so this is actually the most efficient way to filter magic mana in all of magic wow 
That said, I'm not that impressed with him. I think the problem with the leaf caller is he's not an accelerant, right? He's just a filler. Right. Um, so you've got, you know, Kodama's reach and secure tribe elder and, you know, other cards that let you actually ramp, or is this just lets you make your mana a little bit better? I don't, I don't know if that's good enough. Yeah. I mean, like I, I can see it being useful when you've gotten, you know, you're in green and then you've gotten a little ambitious with splashing into like two more colors and you need all the help you can get to like have that mana fixing, but I don't know how often that's really going to come up. Yeah, I think it's it's not totally irrelevant. One of the things that makes this card tough to evaluate for me is that mana fixing from land has gotten so much better uh, since this right. was printed with like the fetch shock land ba- mana base and just tons and tons of dual land cycles. Uh, but, you know, we are we do intend to go outside the land base for this block in order to make the mana in the cube better. But even with that, I'm not expecting it to be super easy to bridge across multiple colors. So there might be something to including this just as a way to... Um, Give give players a little bit of mana filtering, a little bit of an ability to assemble some cheesy decks. Yeah, I, I like keeping it in for now. Okay. Yeah, this this card is funny because to me, I, I love it. Like, I've always thought of this as kind of an iconic card. And to me, it, it's an example of the kind of card we've talked about a lot where it can get love in the kitchen table. It's the kind of card a lot of individual players really enjoy. But he never quite made it in Constructed. He doesn't really show up in EDH. He doesn't really show up in Cube. Uh, like the, it, it's kind of bums me out that cards like this really don't have a home anymore. Yeah. I think you're right that it just, you know, because it doesn't actually accelerate your mana at all. It just switches it around. I think that that makes it a lot harder for this to be competitive. I did find a, uh, contemporary article where, uh, Zvi Mauschewitz, uh, noted magic pro of this era published a block constructed deck list where uh which was like snake tribal for for competitive block wow. constructed i'm not clear if he actually thought this was oh. good but this card uh figures in there as something to like get boosted by um uh sachi and uh just generally act as a little one mana role player so i thought that was kind of funny huh yeah that's that's interesting yeah I don't know, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Oh, this is a good point to mention because I don't think I did in the intro. Uh, in the show notes for the episode in your podcast player, you'll find a link to all the cards we're talking about today on Scryfall so you can see the art and read along uh, and also links to any articles or uh, resources we mentioned along the way. So uh, what's your rating on this, Connor? Well, I had it playable, but I feel I'm feeling more of a meh at this point. It seems like kind of an edge case that this is really going to do a whole lot for you. Yeah, I'm. I think Mez about right. I honestly, Mez is generous for me. I think if I was just being cold and harsh, I would probably go Instacut. But I, I have such a soft spot for this. I, I landed at Meh. Keep it in for the infinite mana combo. Okay, okay. I'm sure that's going to come up. I'm sure that'll come together. The other thing we didn't mention is the art here is really good. It's pretty cool. Yeah, this might be my favorite Arachi art actually. Wow. So it's uh it's a shamany snake person sitting on a stump doing some kind of magic. You know, there's like a I don't know be magic router. I think what I like about it is less specific things about the composition and more it's incredibly detailed and yet not photorealistic. And this way you really got very specifically in this era of magic sort of pre-digital painting, very obviously painted by hand. You could see areas where the brush works a little bit fat, like this kind of funny little grass blade off to the left that almost or bush of grass off to the left that almost looks like it was added late. Um so yeah. it's very clearly painted by hand and yet it's incredibly detailed uh and technically skillful so i just i think it's a really wonderfully realized piece yeah it's it's a good one and a lot a lot less awkward looking than most of the snakes we're gonna see 
Yeah, the snakes are just kind of across the board, you know, like Kashi Tribe Reaver, Kashi Tribe Elite, we've already talked about, Matsu Tribe Decoy, like a lot of the snakes just look pretty awkward and it's yeah. just like like the artist wasn't really confident in how to realize realize the art. Yeah, I got more to say on that for our next snake. <laughs> yeah, me too. That one's that one's not great. Uh so meh, and what about quantity? Uh, two? Sure. Two seems fine. I think okay. there's a chance this gets cut, but you know, that's what mez are for. Cards that may or may not make yeah. it. Yep. All right. Another snake, Orachi Ranger. One and a G for a 2-1. Snake Warrior. And it has the signature Orachi ability. Whenever Orachi Ranger deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature, and it doesn't untap during the controller's next untap step. Ooh, this card is hard to get excited about. Uh, you know, all of the snakes feel like they should have death touch, but this snake really, really should have death touch. And it wouldn't even be that powerful with death touch. It would just become adequate at that nope. point. Like green gets two drops with death touch. Like why, why can't Orochi Ranger uh, just, just get the thing at obvious it's, it it's like you compare it to ambush Viper, right? The iconic death touching uh, green two drop. And this thing just looks so miserable. Yeah. Uh, also another snake. Like yeah. the, there's the precedent. You've got a two mana snake with death touch. I know. Uh, well, I, this this precedes uh, ambush viper, right? I, I hope so. Oh yeah, you're probably right. Uh, that would have been funny actually if they if ambush viper had come later. I wish they'd I wish they'd printed some of the earlier snakes, but as kind of humanoid snakes in the set. That would have been uh, pretty hilarious, like some old snake getting reprinted, but with totally different interpretation of the art. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's. Uh... It's Innistrad, so okay. definitely after this. Man, you want to talk about some better art than Ambush Viper art is pretty great. It's it's definitely a Viper. It's definitely better than this art, right, Connor? Yeah. <laughs> this I this is not not quite my least favorite snake. That's the next snake. This is maybe my second least favorite. Oh, really? I think this is much worse than the sustainer. This is okay, there's just so much about this this art that that bothers me. Uh, like the Matsu Tribe decoy, this is a snake running through trees or up up in a tree, which is fine. That that seems to be a, a common theme among the Arachi. Now that I'm looking through all of them, a lot of them are in trees. <laughs> They're all in trees. Pretty much, yeah. Even the leaf collar sitting on a stump. Or next to trees, in the case of the decoy. There's trees somewhere. Yeah. There are a few kind of design commonalities that we see in all the snakes. They've all got forearms. All of them, except Matsu Tribe Decoy, have three fingers on each hand, mm-hmm. two toes on their feet. Really, really tiny waists. Really tiny waists. They're super skinny. They have a snake-like face, obviously. Inexplicably long hair in a lot of cases. Very, very long hair. They have extravagant hair, very long limbs for a creature that's based on an animal with no limbs. <laughs> um, but like between all these different snakes there are so many variations in how the artists have interpreted them you know they have very different like not just skin tones but skin textures their heads are all shaped a little bit differently and are like varying degrees of snakiness like the this ranger has like basically a very small snake head yeah, stuck like, on top like of her shoulders it's like half the size of what you would expect yeah. it to be like just so this tiny little snake head just grafted onto basically a human body with more arms. Yeah. And if you contrast that with like Shisato whispering hunter, who we'll get to later, like her head is gigantic. Like there's just so little consistency or Matsu tribe sniper or Matsu tribe decoy, like almost every snake. Now that you mentioned this, their head looks different. Like there's no consistency. It's really, it's kind of maddening. Yeah. Like snake to snake they're they're totally 
different looking creatures. Yeah, and I, I get, you know, I'll sometimes complain about like modern sets having too strict of art direction, although they've eased up on this lately and like too much adherence to kind of a Bible of design. But th- this shows that you can go too far the other way of like, there's so little visual consistency among these cards that is actually jarring. Yeah. Also this one, not just like the appearance of this snake warrior, but like all the other <laughs> technical aspects of the art too really bother me. Like we've got this attempt at a dynamic angle and a pose, but the angle feels really weird and the like foreshortening of the leg seems too dramatic and like too much. You've got this gigantic foot and tiny little head at the top. The arms all look really stiff and awkward and this this ranger has no idea what she's doing with any of her arms. Like one of them is brandishing a knife and the others are just kind of... They're just kind of out. Like for a ranger, she's really doesn't seem to be controlling her body very precisely. I mean, the the two lower arms, I, I would describe the, the gesture that those arms are making as, what are we doing here? <laughs> to me, it's more kind of like... Yo, bra, what's up? That's kind of the more the vibe I get. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, also her left arm looks about, you know, 10 inches longer than her right arm. Yeah. Oh, wow, you're right. Yeah, there's some awkward kind of foreshortening perspective stuff happening here. Yeah, it, it feels like a lot of the snake artists kind of struggled figuring out what to do with all of these limbs, like with the Matsu tribe decoy firing a bow and also drawing a katana at the same time. It's like, we've got four arms and they... They've all got to be doing something. The leaf caller does that really well, yeah. casting the spell. And then yeah. here we've got the ranger just kind of grasping for meaning. Yeah. Uh, I had this at a mad 2x. I don't really know why, except that I was like, I don't know. It's moderately playable to drop, but that might be too generous. I, I keep thinking about all the snake tribal. We haven't gotten to them any yet, but there's a number of cards in this set that want you to be in snake tribal. And I feel like we're going to need some number of, cheap snakes although you may be about to tell me that the leaf collar who precedes this and the sustainer who follows it are just better options i i think both of those are true and sakura tribalder all right all right all right we, let's just cut this connor yeah get it out okay instacut okay going from one ugly snake to another one we've got arachi sustainer 1g for a 1-2 snake shaman with tap add g to your mana pool so this is a more expensive lanowar elves with one more toughness and it's a snake Pretty, it's a pretty unfortunate comparison for the sustainer, uh, but I think in, I think here it offers just enough ramp to be kind of meaningful in green, even though it's it's obviously strictly worse than Lanowar Elves. Like getting the green mana here is enough. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to love sustainer for me when this set contains like two of the most iconic ramp cards of all time. Right, we got Sakura Tribe Elder coming up. We had. Uh, um, Kodama's Reach, uh, I think last episode. Uh, so like, uh, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't quite make the grade. Two mana dorks are not as good as one mana dorks. They're not even close to as one good as one mana dorks. So I don't know. I, I think this is still includable, but I think it's far, far worse than, uh, than a one mana elf or than other ramp options, even in the same set. Yeah, that's fair. Let's talk about this art for a minute. Cause I think we differ a little bit on that. We do? I think the art is fine. I have no feelings about the art either way, except that it continues our pattern of literally every single Orochi looking different in their anatomy mm-hmm. and basic uh, structure. Yep. Uh, and a startling number of the Orochi have uh, you know, large, prominent breasts, which uh, is not something you immediately associate with snake people. Yep. At least I don't. Well, this one's wearing also wearing a, a loincloth. 
kind of thong. Yeah, setup. like a halter top kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I hate everything about this art. I hate that it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't look like a snake. Well, when I first saw it, so it the the pose that this snake woman is in is she's she's kind of got two hands because remember there's always four arms. She's got two hands on tree trunk, two hands up in the air doing some sustaining. I assume. Uh, and then you see her body like going down. <laughs> you see her body going like down toward the tree trunk. She's sort of like prop- propping herself up. And like, I thought almost, just, but not quite leaning on it. It's weird. Yes. For years, I thought that that was like a solid snake body because you can't tell that she has two legs. Me too, until this place. very moment. And then you realize, no, though she does have two separate legs. She's just in an extremely awkward pose where she's like leaning sideways. To show off her sexy snake body, I think. Yeah, to show off her sexy snake thigh leaning against this tree trunk and then like twisting to to make sure you see her snake cleavage. It's another one where she's in a tree, but doesn't really look like she's in a tree. Like we yes. saw it with the Arachi Ranger. We saw it with, who did we see it with? Matsu Tribe Decoy. Like, mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't look like she's standing on it. She looks like she's just standing on the ground. Yeah. Like, you couldn't strike this pose on a tree. Right. Uh, like, either standing on the ground or possibly, like, holding herself up with these two spindly snake arms in a... Yeah, but they're not... They like don't it, look like they're working at all. They're they're right. very... They don't look engaged. Yeah, you see what I... Like, the whole thing is just really awkward. Yeah. It's a yikes. It is a yikes. I, I also don't really like the flavor text, or I don't like it, but it makes me question her. So her, her flavor text is, nothing is the same anymore. The forests are not as lush. The water is not as pure. The air not as clear. Without the kami to direct and sustain the forces of nature, it is only a matter of time before we feel their neglect. Now, I feel like this makes her loyalty to the mortal world pretty suspect. I don't really feel like that's a that's kind of a full-throated defense of the mortal cause. That sounds like she's she's missing the kami a little bit too much. That's that's a good point. Yeah. You know, I want to see the mortals stand up for themselves. Well, it's confusing too because it's saying it's only a matter of time before we feel their neglect, but the kami aren't really neglecting the mortal world. They're attacking it. Yeah, it's true. This makes it hmm. sound like they just sort of all, you know, got up and left. I admire her working to sustain it despite those obstacles, though. That's admirable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, doesn't look like she's doing a very good job, but... No. Well, you know, she was born... You know, if she'd been born as a one-mana creature, she would have been better at it. Hmm. What about playability? So I have this at a meh 2x because it's kind of like, eh, it's fine. It fills a spot. It it doesn't excite me. I don't think it's particularly good either. I had it as a 3x playable. I think three... I, I think it is kind of playable but three is probably too many yeah i mean not to um pull back the veil here but you have sakura tribe elder at a 2x and this at a 3x i don't i find that hard to explain sure (laughs) 100 sure all right i'm gonna i'm gonna look at it right now i'm gonna switch those right now okay 2x sakura tribe elder three there you go all right all right that's good just errata that yeah i'm fine with 2x for sure uh do you I don't really care between playable and meh. I think it's, I think it's on the board. I, honestly, I do care. I think it is a meh. To me, playable are cards that are like clearly going to make the grade, clearly going to make your deck most of the time. And I don't really think the sustainer hits that bar. No, you you think you'd you'd pass on her most of the time? What about most? Let's see. Where does she? Yeah, I guess she's not the twenty third card. She's more, but she's like the nineteenth card in a deck. You know what I mean? She's not the tenth. Yeah. She's not like I'm never cutting this. 
Yeah, that's kind of a meta range, I suppose. Yeah, she's somewhere between meta and playable. I'm going to let you make the call. You read her out, you make the call. Uh, hmm. I feel like we need to be more cruel to these cards than we have been, so... Here, here. Let's go with meh. Especially these uh, snake people with poor art. Yeah. All right, let's go on to Root Runner. 2GG for a 3-3. Spirit. GG, sack it. Put target land on top of its owner's library. And Soul Shift 3. So it's like a it's a mini plow under hill giant soul shifter. Uh, I love this card. For some reason, my notes say poster child mech card, but my rating says playable. So I'm not I sure saw, what's going on I saw on that there. immediately. <laughs> I think this is a poster child playable card um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, because I love land destruction and I love annoying your opponent uh, by interfering with their mana. If you've never been plow undered or otherwise had a land put on top of your deck or a card put on top of your deck, it's easy to underestimate how painful that is. But like mid to late game, that is really, really annoying to be denied a draw step, be slightly down on mana. It's really, really irritating. Definitely one of those mechanics where when we started out, like as a new player, it sounds like, oh man, I'm just putting it on their library so they get it right back. Yeah. You read it and and at first as a new player for me, it was like, that doesn't seem good. I want to just destroy it or exile it or something. But you you re- once you actually play this effect, you realize how painful it is for your opponent. Yeah. A lot of times I think it's actually a little bit better than destroying the land. Or at yeah. least late game it is. Like it's this essentially blank denies your opponent a draw step, which is pretty solid when you get into one of those top deck battles late game. And of course, uh, like so many of these cards, it is better with damage on the stack, right? Like this puts three damage on the stack and then denies your opponent a draw step. And then it maybe gets you a card back from your graveyard. That's like a two for one, a three for one. I don't even know how many for one that is. That's a lot of value. That is a lot of value. So this seems like a perfectly reasonable card to me, power wise but i was kind of thinking it would still be perfectly reasonable if you didn't have to pay the two mana for plowing under what do you think about that if it was just free just sack him uh i think it wouldn't be overpowered for sure like certainly in the modern context i do think it would be pretty annoying you know it would just be like with damage on the stack i think it would be really it would really put your opponent in an awkward spot because three three just trades up with so many things or trades well with so many things you know i feel like you would just end up in a lot of situations where um your opponent really has no way to play around it they're just gonna they're just gonna get three for one without any uh, agency hmm Hmm. Uh, what do you think of the art here? I love this art. It's like very fairy tale to me. It's like a little spooky without being over the top gross or scary. It's just like weird and unnerving. I really, really like this piece. Maybe I'm just biased by the name Root Runner, but I feel like this has a lot of movement to it. Yeah. Um, like there's the the foreground has this kind of branch. So it, it looks like you're, you know, kind of peering between a couple of branches at this spirit that's racing through the canopy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really see a form very clearly there's you know some arms and legs and kind of this mass on top but you don't get a very clear sense of what this thing's actual shape is which i think is pretty effective mm-hmm. yeah it's very kind of spirited away which yeah. is true of a decent number of arts in the set but this one is really really strong spirited away vibes for me yeah i've never heard of adam rex but i'm scrolling through his scryfall and he's got a decent number of just kind of solid realistic pieces but it looks like when they've let him get abstract he does some really weird interesting stuff like he did horde of notions um, his igneous golem art art from Mirage, which I don't blame anyone for not knowing what that is. I didn't know about it till this minute, but it's a really cool abstract piece. I'm sending you a picture, Connor. Um, his infinite hourglass is cool. He's got a lot of kind of cool, quirky abstract pieces. Whoa, that igneous golem. 
pretty it's freaky. cool, right? It is cool though. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And he's got a lot of kind of quirky pieces like that. So, you know, props hmm. to Adam Rex. I just learned about a, a cool new magic artist, which is always, yeah. which is always great. Uh, where do you land on this? So I have it as a playable, as I said, I, I think Matt, I don't know why I would even flirt with Matt. I think this is a very solid playable and I have it as a two X mostly because I like plow under effects. Um, yeah, I've got it playable. Also, I had it as a, uh, one cause we do, you know, four mana is a pretty crowded spot. I'm not sure this is the card we want two of. That's true. There are a lot of four mana guys. Well, how many four mana soul shifters are there? Good question. Let's take a look. Uh, oh, Burgrafter, who we loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gibbering Kami, who we also loved. Uh, and then there's a handful of other less good ones in later sets. So I'd say, yeah, this is this and Bert, you know, this has competition from two other really solid four drop soul shifters. Yeah, I mean, just in green too. You know, you've got the Kodama, the South Tree, Burgrafter. Yeah, you got uh, lots of green four drops. You're right, Sachi. We got Sosuke coming up. There's a lot of really solid four drops in green. It's over Feral Deceiver. It's like five is kind of Feral. Yes, Feral Deceiver is also so, a card in green. So that we you somehow persuaded me to include. <laughs> yep, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, how many root runners does that leave us room for? Uh, I still want to say two, but we can start with one, I guess. Okay, okay, let's negotiate. Let me call it an auto-include and we can go to one. Oh. No? Okay. No? Well, I, I have a counter-offer. This is what I thought you were going to propose. <laughs> okay. I thought you were gonna, you were going to propose we have one, but if and when we cut Feral Deceiver, we replace it with a Root Runner. Yes. I could agree to that. Yeah, I uh, was also thinking about that, but I still kind of want it as an auto-include because it's my favorite. I think it might be one of my favorite arts in the set the more I look at it. Wow. Let's uh, Just a reminder to the listeners, Austin's first sentence in his notes for this card was poster child <laughs> mad card. <laughs> now it's an auto-include. The notes are looking a little loose today, aren't they? <laughs> We're making some, <laughs> some gross errors. <laughs> They're pretty confusing. Okay. All right. We can do auto-include one. Okay. One auto-include. All right. Uh, before we move on, though, I want to um, I want to share a really good long comment from somebody named Mode on Gatherer. The highlight of it is this makes for an interesting soft lock with a card called Gift of Immortality, which uh, if you're not familiar with it, I wasn't. That's a two and a W uh, enchantment aura from the original Theros block. It enchants a creature. Uh, and it says when enchanted creature dies, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Return Gift of Immortality to the battlefield attached to that creature at the beginning of your next end step. So you throw a gift of immortality on this and basically your opponent never gets another draw step. And I think that's pretty awesome for two underwhelming, somewhat forgotten cards. Wow. You gotta yeah. you gotta wonder how someone comes up with a combo like that. Like did they just kind of drop some cards on the floor and these ended up right next to each other? Yeah. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> <that> <laughs> just dropped this well, collection. <laughs> So the great part is, Connor, I'm only, I've only started reading his comment. I'm going to read the rest of it. I'll quickly define the cards that we go through. But he went super deep. I want to go build his, this deck he's talking about because it's, it's hilarious. Um, so he goes on to say, and both go well with Tallow Wisp, uh, which again, if you don't know, uh, is a Betrayers of Kamigawa card that has a Spirit Craft trigger. So when you play a Spirit or Arcane spell, you can search your library for an aura and put it into your hand. So you get your Tallow Wisp to get you your Gift of Immortality to uh-huh. put onto your Root Runner. Yeah, it becomes even better with Eidolon of Blossoms, which is a classic enchantress effect. You know, play an enchantment, draw a card, and the Eidolon of Blossoms is a spirit. Um, uh huh. 
which, uh, okay, so he points out that's three layers of card advantage. Reverse cantrip for your opponent, who will keep redrawing the same land. You can return a spirit card, and you draw a card every time this happens. Then he points out Hanakami, with the sacking ability, works with the gift as well, and lets you get back uh-huh. these cards. Uh, and then he just keeps going from there. I'll let, I'll let you all look it up if you want, but I, I really shout out to Mode for going this deep on this card. Wow. Uh, Mode, if you're listening, please send a diagram. Please send a diagram and we will send you uh, Root Runners in the mail. <laughs> and maybe also a Graxaplon. And a Gra- yes, we have, uh, we have many foil Graxaplons. So anyone who wants one, I'm completely serious. Send us an email and I will mail you a Graxaplon and a clock spinning sticker. Okay, auto include 1x, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. You want to take it away? That's yeah. got to be the longest discussion of Root Runner ever recorded by anyone except, except maybe Mode. Mode Mode has put even more thought into this than we have. Okay, let's let's go back to the snakes for a little while. We've got Sachi, daughter of Seshiro. 2GG for a 1-3 legendary snake shaman. Other snakes you control get plus zero, plus one. Shamans you control have tap, add, GG to your mana pool. This seemed like a classic build around to me for this set. And it's not a cheaty build-around like the Orochi Egg Watcher build-around we talked about earlier. This is like actually a card where you would potentially pick it and then keep an eye out for snakes in the rest of the draft. I'm not saying that Sachi is like making a snake deck. So they can get plus O plus one. <laughs> but this is, this is a card where you will be looking for other snakes and other shamans, which there are a surprising number of in this set. So we've seen a decent number of snakes so far. The plus one or plus O plus one is pretty sad, but this shaman buff I think is pretty real. There's 32 shamans in the block. Uh, Interestingly, they're exclusively in red, black, and green, which I guess kind of flavor-wise for some reason makes sense to me. Nine of those 32 shamans, not including Sachi, are green, and eight of those nine green shamans are snakes. So you've got double synergy on, Mm -hmm. on those snake shamans that are getting plus O plus one. Including both Arachi Sustainer and Sakura Tribe Elders. So you got two relevant two-drop mana dorks who get more dorky, more powerful there dorky. Go. Right there. And get this double green tap. And as I pointed out with Arachi Leaf Collar, uh, this is part of an infinite mana combo. What what more could you want from a four mana one three? Okay, yeah. Um, so really, I I feel like I'm talking myself up to an auto include on this one with, oh, uh, <laughs> with yeah. that combo. Clearly, I'm less high on this. I had it as a meh. I'm fine with it as a build around too. As you say, like snake and shaman tribal are both more real in this block than you would think. Uh, so that does help her a little bit. I hate the art here. Uh, like I hate much of the Arachi art. I think this one is like extra goofy looking. We got another busty snake. We got another card where I feel like the four arms don't really marry together. Like I don't, there's, there's something in the way the, except for Sakura Tribe Elder, who we're going to get to next. Like a lot of these, I feel like they're doing different things with their different sets of arms in a way that doesn't, that doesn't suggest any kind of like physical connection between the arms. You know what I mean? It's like they're two independent sets of arms instead of being sort of biodynamically related. Does this make any sense? Yeah, totally. I think I, I think I said something similar earlier, maybe last episode that the it feels like a lot of these artists didn't know what to do with this many limbs yeah so in this one it's like what are what are two generic shamany poses putting your hands in a prayer kind of uh posture and spreading Mm -hmm. your arms oh we can do both uh it's like yeah i mean you could 
Uh, you know, this also falls afoul of your symmetry thing. This is, this yeah, is sure super does. symmetrical art. It's it's interesting. This she is like slightly set off to the right here. I know so what not is with perfectly that? centered. It's even worse. No, I actually kind of like that because because it, it's so unsettling. It well, it it makes your eye not immediately go ah too symmetrical. At least my eye. Yeah, maybe. But it is extremely symmetrical. Um. She commands just 125 EDH decks, but she appears in 1300. And that, that high-ish number is wow. true of a lot of these snakes. Even our uh, Arachi Sustainer appears in 1,000 EDH decks. Like, it, there must just be a lot of people out there who like the idea of a snake deck. That's the only explanation I can think of. Hmm. She's uh, kind of fun with a couple of obscure other shamans, like Bosk Banneret, who's a shaman who reduces the cost of uh, your shaman spells by one. Uh, and Centaur Omen Reader, which is a weird future sight shaman that decreases the cost of things by two. Uh, anyway, I just, I'm kind of tickled that there's some bad shaman deck in EDH that's running her with a bunch of other bad shamans. I think that's kind of cute. Yeah. Cute enough to merit a build around. Yeah, sure. It's I, It feels like a 1x for sure. I don't know if you want to somehow argue for more. No, I think one's right. Okay, uh, one more cute interaction before we move off this is Thornbite Staff from Lorwyn, which is a Lorwyn tribal artifact. Tribal being a sort of failed experiment where they gave creature types to uh, non-creature um, spells. And so Thornbite Staff is a artifact shaman, and so she allows that to tap for mana. And, you know, that's kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, so, you know, just think about that a little bit. A lot of synergy with this card. A lot of synergies. All right, let's go from uh, EDH uh, slight role player to a all-time EDH all-star, Sakura Tribe Elder. One energy for a 1-1 Snake Shaman. Sack it. Search your library for a basic land. Put that card into play tapped, then shuffle. All right, uh, we all know Sakura Tribe Elder or Steve. Uh, He does everything. Um, he's got graveyard synergy. He's a chump blocker. He's a mana fixer. He's uh, take a shot for this better with damage on the stack. <laughs> and he's got dope art. This has been reprinted like 17 times and 13 of them are with this art, which is not something you can say for many Kamigawa cards, either getting played a lot or getting their original art reused. But this one has been used a bunch, I think, cause it's amazing. I think this is absolutely the best of the Arachi. It's freaky in a way that I think a forearmed snake guy should be freaky. It's realistic and pretty convincingly rendered. He's got two staves, which is a great reason to have forearms so you can carry two staves at once. I mean, I love this dude. This guy's great. Okay. I I might take some heat for this, but I do not like this art. Oh, what? You're <laughs> taking heat from me. Justify this. What? How can you not like this art? To me, it looks so just... For if you if you somehow don't know what this art looks like, he's you know a snake man uh, holding two staves. He's using his two like top arms to hold one, and then his two bottom arms to hold another identical staff. Connor, he's never falling over. He's, he's never going to fall so over. Stable <laughs> because he's he's like walking everywhere with these two staves, like those hiking poles. But he's <laughs> using all four <laughs> of his arms to like use. <laughs> My problem with this art is it looks like like one set of his arms was just copy pasted from the other set. Uh-huh. And, or like, like his back arms were just glued on doing the exact same thing as the other arms. I find it really off putting. So it does look a little bit like children in a trench coat in that old, like cartoon gag. Yes. It doesn't really look like one person. It looks like two people and then a head sticking out from yes. that. Yes. Two people with a burlap sack 
and then a snake head on top. But I think that also makes him snakier in a way a lot of these aren't because it makes him look kind of long. You know, a lot of the rest of them are just literally a person, but with an extra set of arms, whereas he's kind of long and creepy looking, you know? I, I don't know, maybe? I don't think he is long and creepy looking. I mean, he is creepy looking. How about his musculature? What about it? How about his well-realized biceps? I thought he was an elder. Why is he so ripped? <laughs> he's an he's a spiritual elder, Connor. He's not. He doesn't have to be an old man. Uh, okay. Yeah, I just I I, don't know. I mean, it's fine. It doesn't. Like, okay. What about the card? What about the card? The, yes, the card is great, and he's a shaman. So <laughs> Sachi synergy. <laughs> wow your your take on Sakura Tribe Elder is Sachi synergy. <laughs> I mean, what can I what can I add about this card that hasn't already been said? Of course, he's going to be in the queue. He's an auto include. Yeah. Okay, we agree on that. Uh, he is. I think. Um, what is it? is he the most played CHK uh, champions card in EDH? I think so, and he might be in cube also. Maybe after Kodama. I think Kodama's reach gets a little more play, right? Maybe, but they're both like way up there. This appears in. Um, yeah. 153,000 decks on EDH rec, which is like one out of every four, uh, which is astonishing. Uh, and if anything, he's even more of a cube all-star. He appears in 29% of all cubes, uh, which I think makes sense. Like this card in EDH is like a nice ramper, but in cube, uh, like this kind of like flexibility and synergy and like, he really encourages kind of layered interactions. You know, it's like if you got graveyard synergies, he gets a little bit better. If you've got landfall synergies, he gets a little bit better. I think one of the reasons I love this card so much is he doesn't look like much, apparently, according to Connor, from an art perspective, but more importantly, from a mechanical perspective, he doesn't have 17 lines in his rules text. He's got basically one very simple ability, but he leads to complex emergent play. And that's one of the things I really like in Magic. That's a good way to put it. He is slightly beat by Kodama's reach in EDH. How much does that get played? Uh, that is in 35%. Wow. So he gets massively beat. That's a 206,000. Wow. Makes you think about how many Kodama's reaches are in the world. It must be tens of millions. Yeah. I find it a little funny. This guy's never gotten like a functional reprint with a more neutral flavor. Like it's such a basic kind of core design. Like I feel like it might be a little too good ish for standard today. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm amazed we've never gotten a like land dying man, uh, for two mana one, one that's, I mean, that's a, the name's right there. <laughs> land dying land man. Land dying man. Land land dyingsman. <laughs> Lando McDyingsman. <laughs> Creature human dyingman. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, one other weird thing about this card before we get to how many we're going to include is I, I looked a bit, a bit on the web for like old results and I cannot find almost any contemporary references to this card. Like people don't talk about it much for limited. Now that is weird. Isn't it? It doesn't show up in deck lists. And I think it's like, I think his rise to fame must be an EDH thing. I think before EDH, he didn't. I think so. Yeah, as far as I could tell, anyway. Yeah, I think I think EDH is where he took off. Uh, if you have a copy of Sakura Tribe Elder at home, and I'm sure you do, take him out, give him a little smooch. Uh, he deserves it. How many do you want, Connor? You you kind of nodded at three earlier. Is that where you are, three? Yeah, I, I errated my 2x here to a 3x. Auto-include 3x. Boom. Yep. Okay, our next card is not... Not actually a snake, but it's definitely snake-themed. Serpent Skin. 2G for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature has flash. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one. And you can pay G to regenerate enchanted creature. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to get excited about this card, but I think it does have some place as like a cool combat trick and a way to really annoy your opponent. I still don't love it, and I... 
don't love the art. Like it's it's just a hard one for me to get excited about, but I think it should be in the queue. Huh. See, I surprisingly I got pretty excited about this because I think it's actually just like I think it's good. So it's like it's got flash, so you got that flexibility. Uh, it gives a little bit of a power toughness boost, so it can let you win a combat. Um, I like that it boosts both power and toughness, which doesn't feel like a surefire thing in Kamigawa. And it saves your best dude, and it lets you repeatedly save your best dude. Like, I feel like you throw this on, like, a Moss Kami or one of your dragons, um, and your opponent's options just get really limited. Like, there's not a lot of removal in this format. Most of the removal that does exist relies on destroy effects. So I feel like this is actually secretly a pretty dang good card. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like the idea of it on a Moskami. Don't you? Yeah, it's like you're never getting through my uh, land dragon now. I think the reason I, I can't get that excited for it is it just, the you know, it doesn't read like an interesting card. It's just flash plus one plus one regenerate. Putting all of those things together probably works out to a card that is going to actually win you games, but it just, you know, doesn't read as very sexy. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't it doesn't read as like a tremendously powerful card, but I think it's going to surprise us with its playability. Yeah. I think it's secretly pretty okay. decent. Okay. How many do you want? Uh, oh, I think one. I think this is a one of effect for sure. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Uh, you know, it's not that splashy or anything. It's not I don't think it's anyone's favorite card. <laughs> no. I I also find the art here pretty awkward, uh which is a slight sting against it. Like there's no background. It's got like a featureless background. The guy is actually pretty well rendered. Uh, you know, it's very realistic. And yet he he is kind of snaky. Honestly, he's more snaky than a lot of the Arachi. <laughs> but it's just something about the like blank background and like the way he's positioned kind of low in the canvas. It's just, I don't know. It's very, it's very bland. Yeah. The art's like the card. I just, it's hard for me to have very strong feelings about it. Looking at this, I found another green three mana skin related card in saviors of kamigawa that also regenerates a creature huh it's called molting skin uh-huh so it's 2g for an enchantment and you can bounce it to your hand to regen any creature huh so that's that's another interesting skin related regen enchantment <laughs> take that's also huh. great and also costs three mana and also kind of recursive um hmm. mm-hmm Oh man, that's some freaky art on molting skin. Yeah, I don't like that art. I huh. That's really strange to have uh two three mana regeneration auras in the same block in the same right? color. That seems like a really strange decision. Right? Uh, I think we should get this one in and we'll see if molting skin can also make the cut. If we have that much design space for yeah. weird regenerating things. Yeah, between between those two, I think I I mean molting skin is kind of more interesting to me, but I think that this is a card that you're going to be happier to have in a lot more situations yeah i guess it is nice that molting skin doesn't cost any mana to activate uh and it can target anything that seems like Mm -hmm. it'd be really annoying yeah you just kind of have it out there yeah just just sit out there i don't know playable or mad do you feel like my playable is extreme no i i think playable playable is fine one x all right Let's go to Seshiro, the Anointed, 4GG, for a 3-4 Legendary Snake Monk. I don't know why it's not a Shaman. Other snakes you control get plus 2, plus 2. And whenever a snake you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. Uh, There is a startling amount of Snake Tribal in this set. There are like four (laughs) Snake Tribal cards in Champions of Kamigawa alone. Uh, Plus, I think another one or two in Saviors and Betrayers. Uh, So much so that I would actually call Snakes the second most viable tribal thing in in this block after Spirits. Uh, I feel like none of the other mortal races have as strong tribal synergy cards as Snakes do. 
I think this is a distant second to Sosuke, who we'll talk about in a bit, who is just the nuts. But that doesn't mean he's not great. Like plus two plus two is just a a stupidly large uh, bonus, Um, especially in this block. Like I think that if you have more than two or three other snakes, that's basically like an I win button, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, It's what you want in a six drop. And then the fact that it lets him draw cards so your opponent really can't just let him through either is uh, is nice. So yeah, I think Seshiro's solid. I think the six mana is for a three, four is a pretty significant uh, downside, but I still think he's, he's pretty dang good. The, the six mana thing is pretty painful. And something I was thinking about is if you don't have any snake, like I think if you have one other snake, then that's, that's kind of almost good enough by itself. Yeah. But if you don't have any other snake and it's just Seshiro, he is far worse than Moskami. It's just a six mana three, four. He's, uh, if you don't have any other snake, he's, he's basically bad, but you're right. I think even if you have like a, like a leaf caller, you know, it's like for six mana, you get two, three, fours. That's totally reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that, that plus two, plus two buff, like it's not often you see like a Lord effect like that. That's just plus two, plus two. Yeah. That's stupid big. Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, if we want snakes to have a presence in the cube, which we do, and we've seen a lot of them, then I think we got to have Seshiro in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, his art, um, I have mixed feelings about. Uh, it's one yet another example of every snake looking totally different. And and being in trees, sort of, sort of in trees. He's another snake with inexplicably long hair, but I actually think in a lot of ways it's better than the other snakes. Like he's using his four arms to fire two bows at once, which, you know. That's <laughs> completely hard. opposite directions. <laughs> yeah, and and he, one straight up looking, into the air, one straight down to the ground, you know. And he's looking straight ahead. Yeah, so he's, he's, not, he's right. not actually he's not looking, looking. at all. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. It also kind of looks like he's about to hit the branch that's like three feet underneath him and just knock the wind out of himself completely. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, there's some awkward things, uh, but I, I still think he looks pretty cool. His head looks totally different than every other snake, uh, as is tradition. Mm-hmm. It's very snake-like, though. He's pretty snake-like. It's also very orange. This has got to be one of the orangest green cards in all of Magic, which I don't mind. It's just kind of, it's very noticeable when you scroll through the spoiler. And it's like, green art, green art, green art, green art, orange, like super orange, like a pumpkin. You know, honestly, what this art, what the background reminds me of is Donkey Kong Country. Oh my gosh, the whole thing is Donkey Kong Country. You're totally mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You, you it's can, just, it started you can, playing in my head as soon as you said it. That like do 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 do. Yep. You could kind of imagine him making like the Kremlin dying sound, like when you jump on one of them. Oh. <laughs> All right. There's a couple of other awkward things I want to point out about this art. Okay. Aside from the one bow aiming up straight up, the other <laughs> aiming straight down, and him looking straight ahead. <laughs> look, take a look at his. Let me see his right leg yeah is that his loincloth that's like wrapped itself twice around his shin yeah for some reason he's got like a an eight foot long loincloth which doesn't seem very practical and it's it's like intertwined with his leg well and even when he's walking around it would be like trailing around on the ground behind him like a wedding dress that that does seem a little awkward now you mention it yeah so i am i am concerned for him even if he does manage to grab one of these branches he's gonna trip as soon as he gets there and he doesn't have any arms free. Nope. Maybe that's why he's got his fangs bared. He's going to grab the branch with his teeth. Oh, <laughs> that hurts to think about. <laughs> it does. would be painful. Yeah, a lot, of, lot to think about here. A lot to think about. He commands 192 decks, which isn't bad for a, okay. a really pretty bad card. So well done to you, Sashiro. Okay, so uh, where do we land on this? Uh, I, I see you have a build around, and I like that better than what I had. Because, I mean, without other snakes, he's he's not good. Terrible. Really bad. All right. Build around 1x. Sounds good. 
Okay, yet another snake. Shisato Whispering Hunter. 3G for a 2-2 Legendary Snake Warrior. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a snake. Whenever Shisato deals combat damage to a player, that player skips their next untap step. This one is a big, big yikes for me. I really dislike this art. I really dislike a 4-mana 2-2. I really dislike the snake sacrifice effect, at least within the context of a cube. Why would I want to sacrifice them? You have to. No, I know. I'm saying it. I'm trying to build. I'm trying to get snakes. That's the whole point. Trying to make a snake deck, not get snakes so I can kill them. I do think the ability is cool, right? The second ability is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like the uh, white spirit dragon ability without the tapping part. I mean, that's definitely powerful, but like she doesn't have any kind of evasion or anything to, you know, guarantee that you're going to benefit from that. No. She's got to be the one to connect personally. It's not like she says any snake. Uh, and so you've got a bunch of snakes, a dwindling army of snakes. Yeah, you don't You don't got a bunch of snakes. You don't, you don't got die. a bunch of snakes. You swing in, your opponent says, oh, I'll block the tutu with my literally any creature. And then you yep. go, oh, oh okay. okay. I wish I hadn't two for one myself. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's really hard for me to imagine any other outcome here. Uh, you mentioned Yose, and I do want to say I, I was looking for contemporary references to this card. I couldn't find almost any, except I found a Blogspot blog from 2004 that has one post nice. on the entire blog. It is in Russian, and it is about a Shisato Whispering Hunter plus Yose green-white control deck. Uh-huh. And so I, I will let uh, Google Translate describe how the deck works, and I'll link it in the show notes because I, I think this guy deserves some traffic. So he says, idea, tap the enemy everything, Yoseum, and then Shisate Whispering Hunter, she not give untapped steps and kick slowly. Again, this is Google Translate's fault. And bypass blockers with blinding beam, <laughs> bonus points. <laughs> on the fourth or fifth turn, with the help of talismans and sakuras, we lay out Yose. On the next move, we kick tap five permanents and sacrifice under altar of bone or diabolic intent. We are looking for the missing comrade or Shisato and away we go. So props to that. <laughs> I, I appreciate the green, white snake tribal deny all your untapped steps deck. I think that's, that's pretty great. Wow. Uh, this deck doesn't include any land. It just leaves that to the, to the reader's imagination. Now that I look at it, it just lists the spells, which I think is kind of wonderful too. I mean, that's the important part, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you hate this art. I hate this art too. It's by an artist called John Bolton. I assume that is not the John Bolton who was Donald Trump's national security advisor for a year, but you never know. You never know. John only illustrated 11 cards, and this is pretty weird. Seven of them were in Mirage, and four of them were in Champions of Kamigawa. And that was his entire oeuvre. And I just think that's really strange. That is pretty weird. Uh, this is an Instacut though, right? Yeah, yeah. Get her out of here. All right, she commands 22 decks, which uh, I think is generous, if anything. Oh, I'm surprised it's any. One more thing in defense of John Bolton before we move on. He did do, his other three pieces in this set were Hirobi, Konda, and Uyo. And that's a pretty decent hit rate. Wow. So he got all legends. He got all legends. And I think most, honestly, I don't hate this art quite as much as you do. Uh, I hate her face. I hate looking yes. at her face, but I think that's the part I can't get over. But don't you think like on a technical level, it's pretty good. Like it's, she's freaky in a way I think a snake person should be. The background is well realized. She looks pretty serpentine compared to most of them. Like, I think it's pretty well done. It's just unpleasant. Well, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that he also did Hirobi because this has a similar kind of background to me 
like almost a collage. She's not really part of the background, right? Like it's a very nice background, but she's not connected to it in any any way, unlike Seshiro. That's absolutely true. She's just kind of leaping from somewhere to somewhere. I really find the lighting in this very jarring. Like it looks like she's in a studio in front of a green screen. <laughs> it is studio lighting. You're totally yeah, right. It's like a really, really bright studio light and these really deep shadows that just, you know, it feels wrong. She's supposed to be like whispering through the depths of jungle or a forest. Hunting for untapped steps. Yeah, jumping through this studio light. Well, you know, a, a lot of magic artists use their like wives as models. So maybe this is his wife under studio lighting. Huh. You know, his four-armed snake wife. Mm-hmm. He got her He got her to put, he said, honey, this is your shot. This is my one chance to really paint you for the world. Uh-huh. All right, let's, uh, let's insta-cut this and just move on with our lives. Okay. Okay, let's go to Soil Shaper. One and a G for a 1-1 spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, target land becomes a 3-3 creature until end of turn. It's still a land. We got to get out of the way that the art here is incredible. Um, It's kind of a Rebecca Gway type of like coloring work. Um, You know, it's got a real kind of painterly fairy tale quality to it, uh, which I adore. Uh, Incidentally, I bought a stack of foil copies of this and my Graxaplon foil offer also extends to Soil Shaper if anyone wants a foil Soul Shaper. Send me an email. I don't think it's super playable, but how about we let you blab about the art first? Uh, I just, I love it so much. I, the best part about this, like it's, it's colorful in all the right ways without being overwhelming. I really enjoyed the the contrastiness to this. It creates this moment where you see uh, this this creature coming up out of the earth. Uh, you can see the stone in its back and the, the soil, the grass, these trees. You can sort of ta- see it taking shape as a big creature and you go oh that's the soil shaper and then you look over on the left side of the card and you see that the actual soil shaper is this much smaller very strange looking spirit who is shaping the soil and summoning this creature that at least i thought was the soil shaper at first so it 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 makes this really fun little moment where you realize who the actual subject of the art is and it's not what you think it is at first it's true. I love that. And we've seen a few, there's a few other pieces in magic that play this trick. Like there's Callus Oppressor. Yes. Uh, that has a similar thing where there's like, who's the real focal point of the art here? Yeah. And I love that. You're right. It's a really clever thing in the Soil Shaper art. Uh, what do you think about the playability? So I have put this in three or four test decks and every time I'm just kind of disappointed with it. Um, like making a 3-3 is good, but not not mind blowing. And it's just really hard in my experience to activate it enough to matter uh, and for green to be aggressive enough for this to be what you want to do. Like, I feel like green, you're really trying to get to your like four, five and sixes. And like occasionally having a three, three is just not good enough. To me, it it reads as like one of the better spirit craft abilities, like getting a three, three on a somewhat regular basis is pretty good in a set with so many tiny creatures. You know, a lot of the spirit craft triggers that we've seen have been like either situational or just don't have that much impact on the board. This is an ability that can have a pretty immediate impact, both offensively and defensively. So I I feel like there's potential here. I do like the cute factor of activating at an instant speed. I think that's that's pretty fun. Assuming you have enough mana to cast a thing and to, I don't know. I, I have it as like a insta-cut, which might be a little harsh. What do you have it? That, seem, that seems pretty harsh. I have it at playable. Why don't we meet Wow, that's a pretty big delta. Yeah. I'm okay meeting it, Matt. I feel like if we do, we should maybe have a couple of them so we really give it a chance to prove itself. 
I'll say if we keep it, like, I, I want to see you try it sometime because I I feel like this is, you know, this is to me the inver- inverse of like Serpent Skin where uh, it reads better than it plays. Like, I think it's just not a super good card, even though it uh, it looks like very splashy and fun. I, I don't think it actually does much in practice a lot of the time. I think having two of them in makes sense so we can test that out. Test that theory, see see if there is a situation where he actually does something. All right, let's uh, let's call him a double meh. Double meh. We come now to the last of our snakes in Champions of Kamigawa. Sosuke, son of Seshiro. 2GG for a 3-4 legendary snake warrior. Other snakes you control get plus 1, plus 0. And whenever a warrior you control deals combat damage to a creature, destroy that creature at end of combat. We, we've been alluding to this card, both in power level and kind of flavor-wise. So Sosuke is Seshiro's son. Sachi, that we talked about earlier, is... No way, what? What? Seshiro's daughter. Really? No. Oh, I guess it does say son of Seshiro. It literally says son of Seshiro. I may may have not read that part. They both say son and daughter. (laughs) I've never noticed that in In the name of the card. (laughs) So the family's all together now. Austin has finally realized... Underqualified for this podcast <laughs> in terms of reading comprehension. Austin has finally read the card. At least that's the name what of they it. mean by son of Seshiro. Oh, he's that's... the son of the card named Seshiro. I thought it was the other Seshiro. Oh well, that's cute. So you got Seshiro at rare, and then he's got a son and a daughter who each give. Oh, and Seshiro gives plus two, plus two, and his kids give plus one, plus zero, oh, and plus zero, oh, plus one. Sorry, I'm learning all this live, um, but hopefully it actually increases the emotional impact of this very cute design choice. Yeah, literally no idea how you did not realize this before. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll continue to to point out that uh, Sachi gives plus zero, oh, plus one. Sosuke that gives plus I one, read. plus zero. Oh. Look, Connor, I'm focusing... I'm focusing all my reading comprehension on the effects. You know, I don't have any despair for the name. You know, the effect is enough right. by itself to tax me. Okay, well, let's make sure that you got this one then. Sachi has Shaman Synergy. Sosuke has Warrior Synergy. Pretty interesting stuff going on. Interesting snake family that we've got here. Uh, and Sosuke is kind of a, he's a bit of a strange card to me. So he has these two tribal kind of lord-like abilities, which are fairly marginal on their own even if you have other snake warriors but he's also a four mana three four which is like a good stat line for this set the plus one plus oh is obviously more impactful than the plus oh plus one you get from sachi so he's like i I think he is very strong and the the games we've had where he pops up have proved that looking at each ability on its own you know you don't go oh wow that's that's a really good card yeah, I, I read this and go, oh, wow, that's a really good card, mostly because you've resolved it against me a bunch of times. And every time it just <laughs> it just is a beating like a four mana three, four with death touch is already, I think, pretty reasonable on rate. And then you add that decent relevant ability. You know, if you're going to boost only one, I'd rather boost power than toughness. Uh, and I just think like he, he becomes a threat who must be dealt with. You know, I, I feel like I often end up pointing premium removal at Sosuke and then lacking removal for Moskami or whatever. Like, I think... Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely a threat. One other thing I wanted to add about his abilities is that the... It's, it's very strange to me that the warrior synergy side of this, that he gives your warriors death touch, seems so weird because the death touch thing, as we've talked about, 
it seems like that should be sort of the definitive snake tribal ability, and it's yes, not. Yes, his ability here should literally be the snake uh, tribal ability. It should, but he does not give that ability to snakes. He gives it to warriors. Well, he doesn't need to because they're, you know, tapping things down. They're already tapping things. Uh, so that that's just kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I, I agree that he is a real beat stick. But, but I feel like a big part of that is just a four mana three four with possible upside. That's already pretty solid. I mean, he's no he's no Kodama of the North Tree, but he's still really good. What do you think of the art here? It's extremely green. Almost entirely green, except I think actually except the loincloth and his eyes, it is entirely green. I I find it a little off-putting. It's too green. It's kind of repulsive to me. I, yeah, I, I don't really have strong feelings about it either way, honestly. It's another one where the extra arms just feel sort of stapled on to his shoulders. I, I originally was going to say that this is just a magic problem, and I was going to say... You know, if you look at Machamp from like Pokemon, like the Machamp art from base set two, you know, that really, that really sells the idea of forearms, but actually it's exactly like this. It's like, it really doesn't. He looks just like Machamp. I I think it's just really hard to do a forearmed guy is what I'm learning and have it be interesting and convincing. The artist of this snake, Carl Critchlow, also did your favorite snake, Sakura Tribe Elder. So interesting that he's got you know very different takes on the forearms here very different looking snakes you know that's that's even weirder like i get why every snake looks different from different artists it felt like the creative direction with the snakes was sort of saying just do whatever you think a forearm snake person should be but i almost wonder if there was like an intentional push to have a wide variety of snake people to i don't maybe represent different snake tribes or something i don't know there are the different tribes it's true but i mean even then if i compare this to seshiro who is his dad and sachi who is his sister they don't look that similar and yeah and we know that they're family now we know now that they're family (laughs) like go look at their heads like if anyone's looking at the spoiler look at sachi's head seshiro's head is more like a lizard in my mind it's extremely snake-like who seshiro yeah. But it's not the sa- it's not the same as hers. Hers is like a cobra. It's like wide. Yeah. Yeah. His is narrow. And then Sosuke's is just like a face just with a snake guy. eyes. Their mom must have looked really different because there there's just very little family resemblance here. Yeah. That's just a snake thing, I guess. I had this at auto include. I think that's a little bit high to be honest. It's not all the way up at Kodama the North Tree tier, or obviously not at Root Runner tier. I feel like giving him auto-include, like if there weren't other snakes in this set, I wouldn't necessarily be very excited about him. I can't fairly call him an auto-include if there need to be other snakes around. Yeah, let's call him a playable. Playable 1x. Let's go to Strength of Cedars. Four and a G for a instant arcane. Target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of lands you control. Uh, I think this card is really quite good. Uh, it's obviously horrifically overcosted, but this is Kamigawa, so we have to kind of take that as red. And once you ignore that, uh, TapTap on Reddit a couple months ago said that Strength of Cedars was Green's equivalent of Devouring Greed, Devouring Rage, randomly dealt seven plus damage to end the game. And that checks out. This turns like some random dumb 1-1 one, one, or 2-2 two, two that your opponent uh, neglected to block into like a 6-6 six, six or a 7-7 seven, seven or an 8-8 eight, eight, and just finishes out the game. Uh, and while it's overpriced, I think that's pretty much fine. Because, you know, again, like in a card that you intend to end the game, it's kind of okay for that to be expensive and overpriced. Uh, and I think a lot of times this will help you end the game. I, I shamelessly read the comment you wrote on this card because you put it here after TapTap left that very insightful comment. 
I really love the comparison and also being a combat trick, unlike Devouring Greed, which is a sorcery. I sort of feel like two copies of this might be possible because this doesn't require any kind of setup to be useful, like Devouring Greed, Devouring Rage, uh, even Dance of Shadows. You kind of need to have a big enough board to make those work. There's a lot of a lot of other stuff you have to do to finish the game with those cards other than just having them. Uh, Strength of Cedars, you just need to be playing land. Yeah, I can see that. I actually wavered two between one and two on this. I think I worried a little bit with two about it being a little too easy to pick one up, but I don't think it's oppressive. Like, I don't know that you want two of these anyway. I think most of the time one of these is fine. So that, I guess to me, that means two isn't oppressive, but I also don't know if it's necessary. Well, I feel like two two isn't oppressive because I don't think you have a game where like two of these are going to get played because it is a game ender. I feel like I want two to make this possibility pop up more often when we're drafting. It's a game ender. It is also kind of green removal, like bad removal. Like green doesn't have any fight yeah. effects in this set. So I feel like this is kind of the closest you get to like kill a thing. Uh, I'm okay with starting with two. I don't think it will be too oppressive, but maybe it will be, or maybe we'll just get tired of seeing both of them float around. Yeah, I'm more worried about a clogging pack, but I'm fine putting this in at like a playable, or yeah, like a playable 2x. Okay, let's do it. Okay, next up we've got Thousand Legged Kami. 6GG for a 6-6 spirit with Soul Shift 7. So this card is tied with uh, Promised Kanushi as the second biggest Soul Shifter in the whole block. Uh, This would get Almost everything back, but I think this is just too big, too dumb, and too slow to ever really be relevant in a game at eight mana for a 6-6 that doesn't have trample. Also, this art is just disgusting. It's just a giant centipede. Who wants to look at a centipede, you know? No one. Yeah. No one wants to look Um, at centipedes. We have another one coming up that's uh, another disgusting insect that I think we'll both want to get rid of but yeah like who wants to who wants to be looking at, and you're going to be looking at this for a long time because it's sit <laughs> it in your sits hand, in your hand the whole game as you're waiting for eight mana <laughs> I think it's nice that this makes the decision pretty easy on us like an eight mana six six I, I, I've had this a few times in my deck and like it just sits in your hand it just does not get cast at eight mana like even in this format, it's pretty hard to get there. And when you do, it's like, it's good. It's not amazing. It's just good. I think the one thing I'll say for this is that it can get back Moss Kami, which is nice. But honestly, I but can't. But so can Promise Kanushi. It's true. Uh, yeah, exactly. And Promise Kanushi is a more fun card. It's like quirky and brain tickling. And this is just like yeah. Vizardrix, but a centipede. Yeah, super big, super dumb, more expensive Vizardrix. And like... I think what really frustrates me about this is how we keep making these comparisons to modern magic, and it's not entirely fair because uh, you know obviously this set is not operating on that power level. But this just feels so underwhelming by today's big green creature standards. So I looked for you know something roughly equivalent, and I found Ancient Brontodon in Ixalan, which is a nine nine at this same mana cost and is common. I should mention Thousand Light Kami is uncommon. I mean, this easily could have um, been like a 7-7 seven, seven without harming anything, even in Kamigawa. It could have just been the biggest, dumbest green common or uncommon, I guess. Yes, absolutely. I'm not really willing to just give it like a power level pass because it's Kamigawa, because this card was printed in between two printings of Vizardrix. 
which is like the definitive bad, big, dumb, seven mana, six, six. I'm wondering card. if Vizardrix is as much of a touchstone for our listeners as he is for us. If you're not familiar, Vizardrix is like a <laughs> seven mana, six, six blue creature with no abilities that inexplicably wizards shoved into like three starter decks in a row, like seventh, eighth, and maybe ninth around the time we were learning magic as like a- Yeah, he was in ninth. New players don't need fun cards. Let's just give them this this- like the most not even bad it doesn't the problem with Vizardrix is not that it's bad the problem with Vizardrix is that it's boring and then it says nothing about blue like for seven mana blue does cool things it draws a million cards it counters a bunch of things it like fly at least it flies it's like it's it's both boring and actively unhelpful anyway this isn't a Vizardrix rant this is a thousand like kami rant but thousand like kami is also boring and that that feels unforgivable how about making an eight six? That would have been fun too. Also, go if if you're not familiar, go look up Vizardrix so you can see what it looks like. It does have fun art. This is not a snake, but I I realize one more thing I want to say about the snakes. What because you know really this episode is we complain about the art of the uh, snake people in Kamigawa. Mm-hmm. The other thing I I'm realizing about the snakes is if you look at Neon Dynasty, those snakes all have tails. They don't have legs. And they look a lot more like snakes because, you know, the defining thing about snakes is that they don't have legs. Yep. <laughs> That's what they're known for. And and as a result, the modern Arachi work a lot better. Yeah, they do still have the the forearms, though. Yeah, and somehow the forearms work better. I don't know if that's a technical thing or what, but they all kind of look a little smoother. Yeah. Huh. One cute little Neon Dynasty thing is, I don't know if you have Tales of Master Sashiro up, but if you look at the flip side of that flip card, you know, the flip cards in Neon Dynasty are like, callbacks the original Kamigawa. And even though all the other snakes in the set do not have legs, uh, Seshiro's Living Legacy, the backside of that, does have legs because he's Seshiro and he had legs. Which makes me wonder, when did the snakes of Kamigawa lose uh, their legs in the history of the plane? If anyone knows, let me know. <laughs> that, that is a great question. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's addressed somewhere or if I need to like write Mark Rosewater, but I, I want to know. Subject line, when did the snakes lose their legs? I feel like Mark Rosewater would answer that email. I think I think he would. <laughs> Is this an Instacut for you, though? Definitely. All right, let's look at Time of Need. One and a G for a sorcery. Search your library for a legendary creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle. So it's a two-mana tutor for legendary creatures. I'm amazed this card doesn't show up more. It's only in 5,800 decks on EDH, and like for a format that is centered around commanders... And that where tutors are really good, that is astonishing to me. I mean, obviously you don't need it to grab your commander, but it's it's just really bizarre to me that in a format full of playable uh, like legendaries that this card sees so little play and has only been printed twice and really once because one of those was on the time shifted sheet and time spiral pre-mastered. Like really strange to me that this hasn't doesn't show up more in decks or in play or in conversation. Yeah, the the reprinting part was very weird to me when I actually went to look because I you know I I sort of thought of this as like made for EDH and a card that could fit into a lot of decks there and it's just been <laughs> yeah it does look great in that time spiral remastered printing in the um, time shifted sheet like uh, I noticed you said in your comments that this is like some really old school looking magic art and when you put it in the old border on time spiral remastered it fits like right in it's it's really fun yeah, it was like made for the old border. Like, look how bul- <laughs> I love this guy. He's like, he's so bulky ringing that bell. It's great. It's the Junkyo bell, right? It's the iconic bell. Yeah. And they, they need it. They need it. And they need a big guy to ring it. You can't have a small guy ring a bell that big. What do you think of this card in the cube? I have it as a 1x playable because I feel like there are 
you know, we've we've included enough legendaries that this would be fun to have, I think. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, I think it's there's lots of legendaries in the block. It's obviously a key theme. You know, you use this to go get a dragon and, you know, you're really happy about that. Like, I think this card's really good. Um, I have it as a meh for some reason, but again, I think like I, I'm just clicking wrong buttons or something. This is a clear playable to me. Yeah. Uh, it would have been cool if this fetched any legendary permanent instead of just creatures. I think it would be, it would be really fun to think of the interactions with like legendary lands and like legendary artifacts and stuff. That would, that would have been cute. Yeah. But you know, the creature thing, let's kind of make more thematic sense. You're ringing the bell. They're answering the call. They come running through the woods. All right, one last thing on this card before we move on. The flavor text here ties perfectly into the next card. When the Kumo attacked the monk's sacred shrine, a mournful toll for help echoed through the forest. Thus began the Battle of Silk, which would last six years. And then let's just move right into Venerable Kumo, our next card, 4G, for a 2-3 spirit with Reach and Soul Shift 4. So the Kumo are these big, really just disgusting looking spider spirits and who apparently were attacking the monk shrine you, and causing the time of need. Can you imagine a six year battle against spider, giant spiders? Oh, I do not want to think about that. And I can't imagine a six year battle against a five mana two, three. <laughs> Those monks need to try harder. <laughs> they gotta, they gotta up their game because these these kumo yeah, are get not the order a of the sacred bell in there. They're right there. It's in the name. You know, get them to come and beat the beat the crap yep. out of this thing. I mean, they should be there at the yeah, bell. What are they doing? Are they? I don't know what off? they're doing if they're not fighting kumo. But this card is just so. All two of the kumo we've seen have just been they're super disgusting gross. looking. They took spiders and made them somehow nastier. Uh, and the stat line on this is also. Just nasty and miserable. Yeah, this thing uh, reads bad and plays worse in my experience. Like, it just doesn't do anything. Like, five mana for a 2-3 just does not have enough board impact. You know, having reach, it's it's not enough reach to matter in a lot of cases. There's not enough stat lines for the reach to matter. Like, this is just a bad card. And I, I don't think that the soul, soul shift saves it. Just having that having that on a card that's otherwise just bad is not enough. How many other Soul Shift 4s are there? Like, do we have other ways to... Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of 4s you want to get back, mm-hmm. right? You want Kodama. You want um, Root Runner, of course. Um, you want uh, Gibbering Kami. So, like, are there other Soul Shift 4s around? Okay, there are. We got Forked Branch, Garami, and Betrayers, which is great. We've got Harbinger of Spring, He Who Hungers, 100 Talon Kami, Scuttling Death, and Tori Watchword. So we got plenty of options at but, and I think Fork Branch Garami has it twice, right? So that's... Yeah, is this just an Instacut for you? Like, it's bad and it's a gross spider. To me, that's a clear Instacut. Yep. Gross. Get it out. Might even hide the row in the spreadsheet. Let's go to Vine Kami. Six and a G for a... Four, four. This is Kamigawa for you. It's got Menace, although it doesn't say so on the card. And Soul Shift six. So I feel like uh, we had a good string of like hits and near misses for much of this episode. And then we come to um, uh, Venerable Kumo and Vine Kami. And I think we're pretty firmly in miss territory at this point. Like a seven mana four, four with menace is just not, I just don't think it's an acceptable stat line. I, I like that it gets back Moss Kami, I guess, but I, I really can't think of anything else nice to say about this card mechanically. Can also get you Venerable Kumo back. <laughs> okay. Not in our cube though. Or a spirit dragon. I don't know. I think you're probably right, but this 
this is kind of a soft spot card for me for reasons I, I can't defend very strongly. I don't need you to defend it, but I am curious why. Like, what about it? I really like the the art and kind of the idea of this card for some reason. So Vine Kami and Moss Kami, just like name-wise, thematically, feels like they go together. You know, one's a six mana, five, five. The other's a seven mana, four, four. Like they feel like they should be related somehow. They're both kind of these gods of like low-key mundane forest growth, but they're some of the biggest cards that green has. Well, not in a stat line sense, but... Not in a, in a cost sense, at least. <laughs> and just kind of like hearing those names, Moskami, Vinekami, you would expect them to be really similar artistically, but they take these completely different interpretations of Kami. You know, Moskami is very photorealistic, almost looks so much like Moss that you can't quite tell that there's a creature there. And then this one, Vinekami, is this gigantic, bizarre, otherworldly being with all these different fantastic elements thrown together you've got this this mask and a big horn on the end of a long vine neck all these ribbons everywhere it's like very very japanese stylistically done by a japanese artist there's just something about those those two cards next to each other both being these you know kind of big dumb green creatures and how how different they are i don't know something about it just kind of tickles me yeah, I do quite like the art here. I'm wondering if part of why you're tickled is you'll never guess what else uh, Tsutomu Kawade did, but he did a uh, Drimpic Tongue Zubera. There you go. Uh, yeah, I like the art here quite a lot. I like that, you know, it's not what you would, if you just hear Vine Kami, I think you would picture kind of like Tangela from Pokemon Red and Blue. <laughs> <laughs> I had never thought of that. <laughs> right though? Isn't that kind of what you would just imagine if you just heard Vine Kami? But instead it's kind of like humanoid-ish but with parts elongating everywhere, like his his uh, fingers feel a little bit too long. There's like vines grown out around the head. The neck is a giant vine. His hands appear to be made of layers of vines. So yeah, it's kind of a less literal take on it. Still gets the idea across in an effective, creepy way. Yeah. Uh, I had this in an Instacut on power level, but I think it's defensible barely. Uh, so if you want to try to sneak one or two in, I'm open to that. I, I kind of like having... One, like seven mana, four, four is obviously garbage, but like four, four with menace, like is actually going to be a problem. Yeah. So, sometimes. Sometimes. Because it'll kill two bears and then get back a thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when you think about it like that, or it kills a hill giant and dies to the second creature and then soul shifts a Moskami, I guess that's pretty solid. Yeah. Or, you know, your your opponent only has one creature. Fine Kami's getting in for four. Uh, Yeah. I don't know how your opponent got to, you got to that stage of the game with your opponent having one creature, but possible. It happens. It happens. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a meh though, right? I don't feel like this is a very high grade. No, no, it's a meh. One X meh. Last green card, last colored card of Champions of Kamigawa right here. Wow. It's been such a journey. I know. That's crazy to think about. 250 cards deep here. Wow. Wear away. GG for an instant arcane destroy target artifact or enchantment. And you can splice it onto Arcane for 3G. This is fine, I guess, as yeah. a <laughs> artifact enchantment removal option. Uh-huh. It's a weird card to end the episode on because there's just so little to talk about. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny you say that because I kind of feel like the same. I feel like I'm almost harsher on this than I normally would be just because it's like the last card. And it's so, you know, like for a lot of the other colors, by coincidence, like I think for white, didn't we end on like Yosei or something? Like we happen to have ended on, you know, pretty cool cards. 
Yeah. Well, I guess we ended Yosei, blue on Wandering Ones, which is, you know. We ended red on Zozu. Zozu, sure. And black on Wicked Akuba, so. Yeah, so those are some hits. And then Wandering Ones at least has great art. And this thing is the naturalized for the set. There are two other naturalizes in the block. There's Tarashi's Grasp and Betrayers, which is two and a W for a uh, naturalized that also gains you life and has weird, pretty bad art. And then Rending Vines in Saviors is a naturalized for one GG that can only hit if the mana value is less than or equal to the number of cards in your hand because it's saviors, but it does draw you a card. Oh my God. So, you know, this is probably the best of the naturalizes in the block. (laughs) I think so. My experience of naturalizes, it's fine in limited and it's fine in cube. You know, it's a funny card because it basically never makes the main deck except in really unusual environments. But you're usually fine picking one up a little bit late in the draft and sometimes bringing it in and out of the sideboard. There's a lot of artifacts and enchantments in the block. There's 104. But I think that oversells the importance of killing them, to be honest, because most of them are not that good. Yeah. A lot of them, I think you're going to be fine with them sticking around for a little while. Yeah. In exchange for not having to put this in your deck. Like, particularly yeah. the splice here is kind of like... Like, I just feel like the number of times you need to splice this are going to be vanishingly small. It's already kind of unusual to have the game where you really, really need to have naturalize. If you do have that game, you know, you sideboard this in. But then to need to have the ability to naturalize twice for a total of six mana, pretty hard to imagine. Uh, the, the fact that it costs GG is pretty awkward too, because I feel like, you know, naturalize is a card you kind of want to be sort of splashable. You know, it's like, if you, it's like I really need to kill this one thing they have that i have no other answer for and a gg this doesn't really play out that way you know now that you point that out you've got the splice that only costs one g so it's kind of an interesting way of three g being three g oh you mean one designated? i I meant one yeah that, that was confusing one designated green mana so it's like you have the option of sort of playing this in a deck that's less committed to green, but it's going to cost you more and also require you to have another arcane. I'm not saying that's good, but it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. I have this in a meh. Yep. I had it at 2x, but now that I know there's two other naturalized effects, I think a singleton is fine. Let's go with meh 1x. Well, I think we've just about worn away our time here tonight, and I'm all out of arcane spells to splice on today's running time to extend it. If you have feedback, thoughts, or memories to share about any of the cards or topics today, whether that's uh, wear away in our (laughs) terrible (laughs) non-pun or the art of the Orochi, or you believe Moss Kami really is uh, as good as Baneslayer Angel, you can always email us at clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com or comment on Reddit. Uh, We read every comment and every email. It's super fun to get them. You can also follow along with the cube on Cube Cobra. You can just go to clockspinning.com for a link to the cube as well as to find past episodes. And next episode, we will be reviewing the final cards of Champions of Kamigawa, the artifacts, the lands, and we'll also talk about the mana base of the cube. Big episode, big moment for us. But until then, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. 